Hello and welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the video game book club podcast. Today we're wrapping up our discussion of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. I'm your host Marcus and joining me today as always are the homies. First off we have Dante. What's good everybody? Next we have Greg. What up? And last but not least we have the homie Trevor. That's my Von, <laughs> that's my Von Karma snap. Oh, got you. I was like, what is he doing? Okay, um, so uh, we're, we're picking up where we left off. So uh, part one, we covered cases uh, one through three. Uh, we're playing the trilogy, so there are five cases in this game. So uh, this part, we're going to talk about case four and case five. Uh, as always, it's going to be light spoilers. So if you haven't played it, please play it before you listen to this. Uh, that's your warning. Um so uh, let's get started with case four. Case four called uh, Turnabout Goodbyes. Uh, in this case, Edgeworth is accused of murder and Wright finds himself defending him against the legendary prosecutor, as Trevor mentioned, Manfred von Karma. And uh, he also investigates the DL6 incident. So uh, the, I believe the preview for this was, uh, we talked about it last show, there was two men on a lake, um, Gord Lake. And uh, they were in a boat, and one of them got shot by the other with the whole Merry Christmas. So it's it's around the holidays, and uh, the the smoking gun is being held by uh, Edgeworth of all people. So that's the uh, the, the shocker, and that's kind of like the cliffhanger you're left on. Um, but uh, so for this case, it is uh, obviously you, Phoenix Wright, are the defense team. You're being assisted by Maya. Defendant is Miles Edgeworth. The victim is Robert Hammond. Prosecutor is the legendary prosecutor uh, Manfred von Karma. And the cause of death is death by being shot by a pistol. So I'm going to kick it to Dante so he can start the discussion on case four. Okay, so um, I know we literally just talked about this, but how, how do you want to do this? Um, I guess we kind of want to talk around the case and not necessarily give out details on far as far as like, oh, and this is what happened and this would happen because like we do want people like to have to play the game too. So we don't want to like some people aren't going to listen to the spoiler warning and they're gonna go ahead and play anyway. So we don't want to say like super specific things as far as like, oh, this person was found guilty because of this incident and this piece of evidence. But we can kind of start. Let's see, like um. I guess. Do we just kind of want to go through the days in like a very general sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That works. So, pretty much the first thing you do as Phoenix Wright is you go to the detention center, you talk to Edgeworth, and he's very apprehensive of you being his attorney. One, you're very new to your job. I mean, I guess you've been an attorney for less than a year at this point, and also, like, he has reasons, quote-unquote reasons, to keep you away from this case. So that's kind of a big thing. Um, what do you guys think about Edgeworth? Yo, Edgeworth was being a punk, <laughs> like straight up. <laughs> like he he was very vocal in that he was he did not want you to be his defense attorney. I think he said he was calling a bunch of other people, uh, but uh, he basically claimed his, his case was hopeless and refused to get your assistance, even though you kept offering it to him. So he was just very pathetic. And it was like, I actually, I like, I really liked him. Uh, 
as a character leading up to Case 4, so I was super excited to... He was going to be such a focal part of Case 4, and it's kind of turned me off of the character, honestly, because he became very pathetic and just, like, very emo, and I'm not about that life. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing that Mark said. Kind of, you know, like, I liked him as a character, and then you start it, and then you start talking to him, and he's kind of like, oh, well... Uh, this, you know, I have no chance in, in this, I'm, I'm guilty. And, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't really know at this point, I'm kind of confused as to why he feels that way. I guess it makes sense as you go through the story a little bit, you start going further in this case, but yeah, I was initially kind of turned off with his, uh, kind of his attitude early on. Yeah. I had high hopes for his kind of story arc especially after the last case, case three, I think is where he ends up kind of joining your side towards the end of the case. And then to see him just kind of turn on you like this, it was just, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Well, as we will find out later, he had reasons to turn on you somewhat and we'll see how you guys, um, if you guys change the opinion on that. So, um, after that, you go to Gord Lake, as Marcus said earlier, and this is kind of the focal area of the case. It's where the murder essentially occurred. So you go there, you, um, I guess the first person you find is Lada Hart, who is a budding photographer who is also a university student, I'd like to say. And she apparently got the photo that's going to be used as evidence in court the next day. And she has a little bit of a character to her, so how do you guys feel about Lada? I dug Lada. Like, um, she was, like you said, she was very fiery-tempered. But uh, she, I thought she was cool, because one, she had an afro, so she was automatically cool off the bat. <laughs> Is that natural? <laughs> right? The head, the headband, <laughs> the hairband. And then she was, like, she kept saying or claiming she was from the South, or, you know, like, she had, like, the quote-unquote Southern accent, or, you know, and she kept saying... She was saying, from the heartland. Yeah, she kept saying UFO instead of UFO. And, um, I don't know, I, I, I dug her. She was, um... She was very interesting, kind of, you know, like, she was all over the place, but I felt she was pretty endearing. Uh, I, I dug her, and kind of like what you said, she had a, uh, she was she was about taking pictures, and that, that was her whole shtick, was uh, she's, she wants to be, I think she was taking it for her university class, the photos, that's what she said. Well, when I was talking to her, it felt like home. I just wanted to go home with her and get a plate. Get some some biscuits or something, some buttermilk biscuits. <laughs> like I was expecting, like a, a southern home cooked meal. I don't know. She was she was funny. Like I liked all of her um, her euphemisms, like her little um, anecdotes or whatever. She just she definitely has a very distinct character in this game, and and in a game full of characters, that's saying something. Was anybody else like trying to read her dialogue kind of in like a southern accent? No. I guess that was just me then. <laughs> no, I did. No, I totally did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I wanted to keep her pure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I was going to say, uh, really, after that, that was like the. She, she was really the only character that you meet in this um, 
this case or this this section of the game and the only thing you kind of find out is um uh gumshoe uh, excuse me gumshoe mentions that they have a wit- uh, a witness that witnessed the murder but he doesn't tell you who because he's not supposed to and you kind of find out from lada that she her camera is set to trigger by loud sounds so uh you start to think, hey, if there was a gunshot at the lake and your your camera was pointed this way, then surely you must have caught, you know, uh, a picture, you know, got some photos of something that potentially happened that night. Uh, so then she kind of is like, yeah, actually, you might be right. And uh, so she goes to, to check her check her film and she kind of dips out. So, like, you kind of like, okay, cool. I'm She's definitely going to hook me up with uh, some evidence to prove one way or another what actually happened. And then uh, I think from then, it's really just like, uh, I think afterwards you talk to Gumshoe and you kind of find out that that dude is just really, he's like, him and, I don't know if it's, it's if it's mutual or if it goes both ways, but he's really like loyal to uh, Edgeworth. And I mean, it's, it's actually kind of crazy because like we've seen in case one in, or not one, case two and three that... Edgeworth is not necessarily quick to throw him under the bus, but he's, like, kind of points out some ways when he's being inept or, like, you know, just, like, not getting the job done correctly. But I don't, Gumshoe does not feel any type of animosity at all towards uh, Edgeworth. And he's, like, 100% like, yo, that's my boy. If he said he didn't do it, he didn't do it. I need you to get his back. Uh, you know, like, whatever. By any means, you need to make sure he gets off because he didn't do it. You know, he there's no way I know that guy. Um What's up, Trevor? I thought that was more of him, like, looking at Edgeworth as more of a superior to him for some reason. Like, like I got the idea that, like, he may have been looking out for Edgeworth, but it just felt like because Edgeworth always called him out in the courtroom and everything, it made it seem like there was, like, a, a superior and inferior, like, kind of um, relationship between the two. I just without going, I was gonna say without going too far into case five, you you kind of find out that Gumshoe has a specific reverence for Edgeworth. But I I don't know like if it, I, maybe I'm just putting myself into it, but like I always saw it more as like a friend kind of relationship, or like I just that like somebody he kind of looks up to, and not necessarily like a superior because like I don't he definitely as we're going to see in case five, he does not go out of his way for his superior in case five. So even though he does respect the superior and all that, and, you know, respects that his position of power, like I, I, to me, it seemed like him and Edgeworth are not necessarily friends, but he thought like, I, you know, like maybe they were more peers than like superior, like one is superior to the other, but maybe that was just me looking into that incorrectly. Um, what, what what happens after that though? Uh, I think that's really. Did you um? Were you guys surprised by Santa Claus? Yeah, actually, <laughs> the um, it's a uh, freaking Larry. Oh yeah, dressed up as Santa Claus. He uh, there. So there's a um, what do they call it? Samurai dog. Is it's like a it's a hot dog. Uh, shop i guess you could say on the on the edge of this this lake based and, off of the steel samurai from the previous yeah, case. yeah based off the steel samurai from the previous case but uh so it's holiday season so like there's not a whole lot of people at this 
particular location uh like the boat rental place is closed down you know like larry's not working full-time at this uh samurai dogs hot shop hot dog place but uh when he did show up he was dressed up as santa claus because it's around christmas time and he ends up like just giving you some backstory on like samurai dogs and like uh basically um some more backstory on uh edgeworth because uh and then uh Apparently, this he tells you this lake has some type of Loch Ness monster esque creature there that they've nicknamed or named Gordy instead of Nessie. It's called Gordy after uh, Lake Gord. Um, so he he talks about they sometimes get you know people coming out here trying to find Gordy. So there's that. Uh, what's up, Dante? No, I was just gonna say that um, Gordy's kind of also one of the big cruxes of this case. There's a the reason Lada's there in the first place is because I guess she accidentally took a picture of um, Gordy. She's the one that actually had the newspaper article, correct? Yeah, like she she tells you that she's one thing, but in actuality, she's there for something else. So um, that's something that you end up finding out. But uh, ultimately, that's what draws her to her lake is that she's um, trying to prove the existence of this sea monster so that way you know she can have her name and her fame and notoriety that she wants to have as a journalist or excuse me photographer um but uh so after you talk to larry i think you go you're like walking around and um uh i think you ended up going back to grossberg who if you remember is the guy that was blackmailed in uh, case three, the, the previous case. Two. Yeah, I'm sorry, case two. He's the, the lawyer that that Mia wants you to use to, or Maya wants you to use in Mia's uh, death in that case, but uh, he refuses. Well, this time you go to him as like a, a peer, and you're basically like, hey man, like... Uh, have you heard about this thing and you got any advice or whatever and you kind of tell him what's up and he's like oh well um, he gives you some information about the victim Robert Hammond and you kind of find out that he's involved in this famous they call it the DL6 incident and he was a defense attorney and this has come up throughout this entire game this incident so we kind of mentioned it before but uh So the incident was when the police used a spirit medium, uh, a.k.a. they used Misty Faye, a.k.a. Maya and Mia's mom, as a medium to contact the victim to see who killed him. So there was that whole scandal where she in, she incorrectly, uh, the spirit medium incorrectly pointed out who was the, the uh, person who committed the crime. That person was ended up proven not guilty in court, and then she got run out of town, and that was like the last time uh, her 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 kids saw him. She kind of just ran away from her kids and all that. So it was like a traumatic experience for the Faye family because that's what spurred Mia to get into uh, the world of law in the first place. And um, so okay, the victim is somehow tied to this incident involving the Faye family. So that's kind of weird. And then, oh, you find out that what the heck, you're like, you're like, what does this have to do with Edgeworth? And you find out that 
the victim in the case was Edgeworth's father, uh, Gregory Edgeworth. So now you're like, okay, this is getting a little bit weirder. Um, so you have to go back to the detention center and talk to Edgeworth about the incident. And then, uh, so you go back and you talk to him, uh, and you find out that, uh, he was actually there the day his dad died and he kind of told the, the story. Um, I guess there's a 15 year statue of limitations about to expire in a few days. And it's about to, this incident is about to come up back in trial. And that's kind of why he was like pushing you away. Cause he didn't want you to find out about this. And um, yeah, there, there's just a whole lot of mystery and intrigue in uh, revolving this case. So uh, that's only like a snippet. Should I, should, you think I should go further, Dante, or should we? I think that's that? good for the first like day investigation. Yeah. Uh, the, the only other thing to point out too was that his father was a famous defense attorney. So, um, what you do as Phoenix Wright is basically the same exact job that his father was too. So that's worth pointing out at this point. Um, but uh, he ultimately. He asked for your help, or not? That excuse me. He he uh, he, he tells he you. He accepts your help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you obviously, as Phoenix, right? Like you're like, okay, yeah, I'll represent you in case in court. So that's um, that's basically the all of day one, right? Um, yeah, I mean, we're pretty much at the first day of court at this point. I'll take over a little bit. Yeah, um, that's cool. So you get to court, and one of the first things Phoenix talks about is this debt he owes to Edgeworth, pretty much, and nobody really knows what he's talking about directly. Um, I think they don't go into that until like day two investigation, so we'll just save that. Um, the other thing you find out about is Manfred von Karma who happens to be Edgeworth's teacher. Edgeworth kind of hypes up this guy. He's known as the god of prosecutors. He's never lost a case in 40 years. That type of stuff. And he's like, you thought I was bad. Wait until I wait until you get in the ring with him. So, going into this, I guess, phase, what do you guys expect for Von Karma? I kind of figured he was going to be pretty close to, I guess, how... Uh how miles was maybe a little bit more um not ruthless i guess it's not the word i'm kind of looking for but something he's going to be like a a more extreme version of that yeah i felt pretty much the same and as soon as he hits you with that demonic objection like i knew something something was off with this dude the trap the screwed version (laughs) yeah it's weird, isn't it? Because his objection doesn't even sound human-like. He sounds like a freaking demon. <laughs> like, like a Kuma uh, just got a freaking suit. <laughs> it, it's like kind of kind of what they had said. Like I, I felt the same way going in. I was like, well, like how much worse in like going against him can it be versus Miles? Like Miles was already kind of tough. So like, how are they going to up the? difficulty or just like kind of showcase this guy's experience and holy crap man like he became like <laughs> he became my favorite character in this game like <laughs> i mean I, 
<laughs> for me, it was like the way he was commanding the courtroom. Like, he was basically telling the judge what to do. Like I said, yeah, he was like, he was in control the entire time. He was like, the judge is like, just the case was like a ball of Play-Doh. And he was just willing it to his, like, however he wanted uh, it bend, you know, or bending it to his will. That's that's the, that's the phrase. But it was just kind of like, he had so much control. He punked the judge, like, the very first beginning of the case, like, he was like, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, I don't need you to do anything but just swing the, or like, slam the gavel down. I got the rest of this dog. Or he said something along those lines. <laughs> he said, all you're here is to just say when when I'm done. You're going to tell the person they're guilty. And, like, he's so confident and, like, I, he was, like, he was, like, miles times ten, basically, like, can can we kind of talk about the case, Dante? Is that yeah? Let's, okay, let's it's like when any time, like during a cross examination, so uh, you end up the, the the first witness or the witness that's called to stand is Lotta Hart. So she's the end up being the witness, and so when when you're cross examining her after she makes her testimony, like every time you ask her a question, he always objects and it's so it one like you 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 hear in your head like this this or you know like he always objects and he's doing a demonic like objection but every time you ask a question he's just kind of like you know objection what does that have to do with the case or you know stay with the case and he's always like cutting you off and like it's so power like it's such a powerful like point because it's just like every time he cuts you off like you as the player or at least me I was getting more and more frustrated because I was like dude like stop it you're like I felt like I was getting bullied and it, it, it did such a good job of showing like his level of expertise and like just how good he was at this and like why he was so successful as a prosecutor because he like not only was he like telling the judge what to do but he was kind of willing my get you know my cross-examination the way he wanted it to look doesn't it kind of feel like you know in real life when you have one of those know-it-all people and they just say something from behind you and you just like slowly turn around and you're like dude really really again (laughs) it's just like it was so like i think we talked about it with miles last uh case three specifically where it was just like every time you had a you know you thought you had one over on him he would just be like super smug and super cocky then present something that contradicts or like that merely proves this could have happened like he was like that times 10 and it was just so like it it, he was so good at getting it like a, a emotional response out of me as the player that i was just like this guy right here is good. Like, and I was just getting frustrated, but I was just like, I can't be mad because like, this is like super fun to be like feeling this way about this game and just feeling like I'm getting beat no matter what I do. And like, I, I don't know. I think they did an amazing job, like showcasing his mastery of the courtroom. What's up, Trevor? I think it like when you go up against Von Karma, it kind of helps you become a better player because before you get to him, you can pretty much just um, press any statement. But I remember there being one part in the trial where, like, if you press too many statements, like, it actually penalizes you for it. 
And so you kind of had to pick and choose which um, which statements you wanted to to try to get more information out of. And it's kind of funny because that's actually reflected in the game, like through gameplay, where Von Karma's like, Judge, this dude obviously doesn't have anything to say. Let's punish him every time he says something that's not relevant to the case. How'd you feel about him, Greg? Rip? No, oh, my bad. <laughs> uh, about uh, about Von Kammer? Or? Yeah, yeah, just like how, how like, basically your perception of what it would be like versus the reality. Oh, yeah, like, like I kind of said earlier, I guess it's a, I expected just like a more, like, intense version of like miles and like i guess it was pretty spot on I, like i said i i liked him um he says he has a few pretty good quotes throughout the uh throughout this case as far as kind of uh letting everybody know his place and how much you know how much of a good uh prosecutor he is one thing that he does do kind of early on in the case I think it's during Lada's testimony, Phoenix pretty much doesn't have anything that he can find, like, a hole with. And essentially, Maya, like, stalls for time, and she raises an objection. And because she did that, Von Karma had her held um, contempt of court, which got her kicked out of the courtroom, which I thought that was a pretty nice touch. So you're yeah, literally left with this dude one on one. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a good way of them, like, kind of like what Trevor said, like, you learn, or the game forces you to get better, and that was another instance where it's like, okay, even though she's, like, very inexperienced, a lot of times it's very reassuring for Phoenix to have somebody there that he can turn to and that he can bounce ideas off of or get advice, and when you're left on your own against this dude, it, it, it does do, it. like, I think... It, you as a player get like truly feel on your own. It doesn't do a good job of like, like showing that and making you feel that way. So Lada is the main like witness you're cross examining during this phase. Did you guys have any opinions on her and her testimony? Bruh. I'm so disappointed in her. Like this is where you, the first time you encounter a witness that, just blatantly withholds information. (laughs) She's just like hella incompetent and just like, ultimately like afterwards you find out, man, I just thought it'd be cool to be on the witness stand. But like in the moment (laughs) you were like, hold up. What (laughs) you thought? (laughs) Like you think like, no, we need some facts. Like don't come up here and say what you think happened. We need to know what actually did happen. You know? And yeah, it it was it was very frustrating. It, it, and like I, that's why I do like the characters because like her outside the courtroom, she's cool. Like I, I really dig, you know, I dug her. But like in the courtroom, I'm like, yo, get this girl out of here. Like she she's not good for anything. Greg, you had something to say? Nah, I mean, I kind of just mirrored what everybody else kind of felt about it. You know, it she kind of runs you around basically, and and changes or testimony several times and just kind of you know for for the most part kind of a, a useless uh witness but uh you know i was kind of along for the ride because i liked her as a character 
I think the evidence that she came along with was more useful than she actually was. Like the the fact that she had the camera that took the automatic photos, like that was pretty much um, more useful in court than like her being on the witness stand. She was clearly there for like the five minutes of fame, and I like how good of a job they did to reiterate that through pretty much her entire character. It was just like super funny because she's like, I saw it as clear as day. And then you look at the photos she presents and it's like two silhouettes of people like with fog. And it's just like, who is like, who's even the person that, you know, is holding the gun? And she's like, oh, here just lying on fools saying like, hey, you know, like I saw this dude, like I, I, I definitely saw him. And it's just like, what are you talking about? So Marcus, as another graphic designer, when they started talking about enlarging the photo, man, <laughs> I was like, the pixels though. <laughs> Are you gonna see all these jaggies? <laughs> this is clearly photoshopped. I was like, man, like what you guys doing? That's not gonna make the photo come clear. What you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, but I guess the crux of her testimony was. Everything boils down to this enlargement of the original photo that you got originally. And it shows one of the men on the boat shooting the other. Phoenix objects because he notices the shooter is holding the gun with his left hand. The actual gun itself has Edward's prints on from his right hand. So that was kind of the crux that leads into the day two investigation. Yeah, yeah. So I think like kicking it into day two. Um, you start off at the office with Larry and uh, Maya, don't you? This is where you find out like the backstory. Uh, I don't think Larry's there. I thought it was just Maya. Maybe that's okay. I think you're right. But um, <clears throat> yeah, you you um you end up going back to the lake and you're you're moving around. There's there's less cops around. There's no gumshoe. Larry's not there. Lada's not there. And um, you eventually, you know, see. Uh, uh, oh, actually, the the other thing too. Didn't day one trial end with the earthquake? Um, what? Maybe it did. I, I, anyways, like at the very end of the trial, there's like a s- s- slight tremor. Hey, yo, Dante, can you? <laughs> there's a slight tremor and um people kind of freak people are like oh it's an earthquake but you kind of see edgeworth like super reflexively like curl up in a ball and like kind of hit the deck and like he has a very like uh strong uh reaction or a response to the earthquake and it, it was kind of jarring in comparison to, like everybody else is like yo why is he being extra so like one of the first things you ask um Gumshoe, one of the first things you asked Gumshoe was like, yo, well, what's up with Edgeworth? Like, why did he act that way? Like, what was going on? And, um, uh, he, you kind of, he's like, oh, well, he just has a fear of earthquakes and kind of just offhandedly says that. So you're like, okay, I'll have to figure out what's, what's up with that. And then I think he also mentions that karma is bringing a witness, uh, cause, uh, in the previous trial, um, in the previous trial, you find out that Karma also has a witness, uh, but but beyond Lada, 
So he's going to, the witness couldn't make it that first day, so he was going to make it the second day. So now you're talking to Gumshoe, and you're like, yo, who's the second witness? But he's not supposed to give you that information. So um, you kind of just like, oh, shoot, I got to, you know, I got to be on my be on my toes because there's no telling what this dude Karma is going to show up with and how that's going to go. And then, um, so you, you end up walking around the lake some more and you, you meet up with Lada and she's, she kind of, she kind of admits like, yo, I, I was in it for the fame. I was, you know, I was trying to get my spotlight and all that. And, um, she, uh, one of the things I think you kind of point out or reveal in the, the trial is, so she tells you she's a university student and she's there to snap photos of this guy and, uh, for her university. Um, but you kind of call her out in court because you're like, well, you have your camera set up to react to loud sounds and what loud sounds can you hear in the sky? And that kind of blows up her spot and like her reliability as a witness. So when you talk to her on the second day, she kind of admits like, yeah, sorry for lying about that. What I actually am, I'm an investigative photo photographer. And uh, so she was looking into Gordy and trying, you know, bring her, hoping Gordy's photo would bring mm-hmm. her fame and fortune. So, uh, how, how did you feel about her response and like her kind of coming clean? Like, did that? I, I think like her being so straight up with you and just honest kind of made redeemed her in my mind. And like, that's one of the reasons why I like her is because like she seems like super real outside of the courtroom. And like, so like the one time she's in court, she's like super unreliable. But I, I like her as a character. Did you did you have that same reaction, uh, Greg? Yeah, for the most part, it, it I respect her because she she came out. She says like, look, look, bro, this is this is what it was. You know what I'm saying? I was trying to get my shine on. So, you know, I can, uh, I can respect that, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I still, I still, still like her as a character. Trevor, how how about you? How'd you feel about Lada? Nah, she can kick rocks. Oh, really? Man. (laughs) Bruh, this is a murder trial. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking the whole time. You got time to be lying on folks. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You don't want her to be like, you know wrongfully or like getting people locked up for for some bs especially when she's just out here so blatantly just in it for the fame i feel you i feel you um so after you talk to lada and you get that reveal um you you walk around the, uh, the lake some more and you end up meeting up with larry and this time he has a very huge steel samurai um uh like blow up like a wavy tube balloon man or whatever. <laughs> Wacky waving inflatable yeah. inflatable tube man. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> he basically had the equivalent of that with a steel samurai one. So he has that outside uh, the samurai dogs, and uh, you kind of talk to him. Uh, you basically you and uh, Miles and Larry all went to school together in the early days. I want to say like up to fourth grade. I want to say it was. So, um, you kind of like, yo, what was the deal with him last night with the trial? Because, uh, he didn't seem that afraid of earthquakes when we were in schools and, you know, and everything like that. And, uh, he kind of doesn't have an answer for you. And, um, you just kind of, it shows a little bit more backstory between you and Larry and, uh, Miles because, uh, 
I want to say it was case three. You find out that there is some history um, between you and Miles, and it ends up being not lovers, uh, lovers scorned or whatever, like Trevor was saying last episode, but actually uh, they just used to be friends growing up. And uh, basically from here, you you uh, are at a uh, de- dead end or whatever, so you end up talking to Gumshoe, and he doesn't have... Uh, he hadn't found any more clues, but I think you guys are trying to, at this point, prove something has happened. So he gives you the option of, like, uh, you can take the, 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 the police canine with you, you can take a, my old fishing pole with you, or you can take this, like, metal detector from the evidence locker with you back to the lake, and you can kind of... Um, look for clues and uh this is i want to say this is one of the this is the only time that you have this kind of free will to kind of choose something and there is no wrong choice like you're you're not getting punished or something so uh it it, how do you feel about this uh dante like was this how how was this i guess this this because i mean i think ultimately you end up having to choose all of them I think you could choose one at a time, and then once you find some new information with one, then you have to return it. Then you can trade it, or you know, trade it back in for something new or something different. So, like, is this something that's common in the series, or was this like them trying something like a one-off? This is kind of a one-off thing. This might happen one other time in the series, but you only need one of the items. It's just. It's just kind of fun because you get some fun flavor text with the other stuff. So, what everybody choose the first time around? So, I was worried about picking the wrong thing. So, I just went ahead and looked at the walkthrough and just got the uh, metal detector. Cheater. Oh, it's because you were playing it yesterday? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trevor, what about you? I went straight for the metal detector. I figured that would probably give you the best chance of finding like a... A bullet or something or even the i think they had already recovered the weapon but i don't know i just figured it'd give you the best chance of finding something relevant to the case that's dang i guess i'm the only failure because uh i uh i chose dude i chose missile okay okay (laughs) and uh did you end up just choosing missile than the metal detector or yeah i chose missile than the metal detector but do you See, want to go into what happens when you choose missile? And so, also well, I'll go all of them. So, like, I, I, I'm the true failure here, apparently, because I chose the fishing pole first, and because um, I was thinking, like, oh, if I get the fishing pole, and I think you're you're trying to prove, uh, I think it's the the whole point of choosing these is you're supposed to prove the existence of Gordy, right? Like, I think you're supposed I to... I think so. I think the the whole crux of this is, like, Lada has some information, but she won't give it to you unless you help prove or disprove the existence of Gordy, the, the Loch Ness Monster-esque creature, the lake monster. So, I'm, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, let me get a fishing pole, because I could just go fishing for the monster. And uh, so you end up going to the to the, the beach woods where Lada's camped at, and... um. Uh, you, <laughs> I think Maya ends up uh, sneezing or something, and it sets the camera like 
going crazy and like it's just like an in joke because like every time every time you come to this location uh Maya makes some type of loud noise to set up the camera and then Lana gets super pissed because it's an expensive reel of film and like the camera is set to use the entire reel of film every time it hears a loud noise so like I mean I think this is like the third time you're over there you know and she she sets it off and it just goes crazy so she gets kind of pissed and then um I guess before I go what what's up Trevor so you didn't take the message it gave you to heart like when it says what are we supposed to do with a fishing rod are we going to catch the monster Hey man I I believed <laughs> I was too op- optimistic man I was like yo I'm gonna, I'm going to catch it <laughs> like that one episode of Hey Arnold and it was funny too because like uh phoenix Wright said like we should have brought the dog as bait and i started dying and then like (laughs) and then like that's (laughs) (laughs) cold-blooded yeah he says that and then like uh maya gets like oh my god i can't believe you said that like you know phoenix was like y'all just joking but it was just really funny like a super like natural like realistic response because i could totally see me being phoenix right in that case like yo we should have just brought the dog as bait and yeah i thought that was really funny um so yeah that's all you get with the fishing pole is that little gaff between you and lada and maya so then i i actually you know went back to the uh gumshoe and i was like actually the fishing pole didn't work out let me go ahead and get the dog i think the dog is gonna be let me get this assist you know let me get this dog assist so uh, I, I, you take him to the beach, and as soon as you get there, he goes crazy, and he, I guess, breaks into or jumps into the Samurai Steel hot dog stall or stand, and he eats all the Larry's hot dogs. And Larry, gets it's so funny awesome. because like the photo they use for the dog when he like wants the hot dogs, he just looks super angry, and you're like, is he about to attack me? Yeah, yeah, like he looks like he's like a he's about to be. He's sicking, you know, you you sick them on to uh, Larry, but he kills those hot dogs, and um, Larry gets super salty and, you know, mad, and then, uh, but that's the only thing you get with the dog, so then I, you know, I end up returning the dog, and I'm like, alright, well, I guess it's the metal detector, it was so obvious, um, and uh, you get the metal detector, and I think that's when you find, don't you find, like, yeah, you find a canister, uh, Larry's air canister that he used to blow up the uh, the Steel Samurai balloon. You find that in the woods. And then when you ask him about it, he kind of admits like, oh, like, uh, what did he say? Um, uh, he, he basically says, I tried to in- inflate it and uh, um, it didn't go so well. It, it was broken, and uh, so I used a different one, and that one um, rocketed into the lake and brought the steel, the steel samurai balloon with it, and it landed in the lake. And then you put it all together, you're like, oh, that that, that photo that is going around of like supposedly a, a picture that Lada had taken of the monster, the Loch Ness monster or sea monster, was actually the a picture of the balloon you know crashing into the lake with the air compressor or the air tank with it so uh you go to lada and (laughs) again maya sneezes and it sets off and wastes another roll of her camera she gets super salty but then you kind of tell her that hey gordy doesn't exist and you kind of 
tell her what happens, and she she ends up giving you over some um, what you call it, some uh, some more evidence that you can take to the to the next case. And she also packs it up for the day, and she's like, "I'm out. You guys are idiots." I'm yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want you <laughs> wasting too much of my film. And then I think at this point, um, the boat rental shop opens up, I believe, because uh, you, you end up getting greeted by this mysterious old man, and he mistakes you for his kids uh, that helping him at his pasta shop, and his kids' names are Keith and Meg, so he's calling you Keith and Meg, and you get in, take, you know, brought into the boat rental shop, which has been closed and unable, you've been unable to look into it or go inside of it, and it ends up being like, oh, like, this dude is just very senile, and it's just him and this, this parrot named Polly, and um, you have, I, go ahead. Are they insinuating that, like, he's drunk, or am I just kind of misinterpreting that? Oh, he's completely, like, he's out of it. I don't know if he's supposed to be drunk or just senile, like Marcus said, but this dude's really interesting. I took it as senile, and but but like I, I get what Greg is saying because like his character portrait is like it go every time he is on screen he takes a nap and like he's just blowing like damn near like what snot bubbles or whatever from his nose and so like when you talk to him you say something he's napping he'll wake up the bubble pops and he's like shaking awake and then he like answers you and then he goes back to sleep so like it isn't super clear. Uh, what's going on with this dude he's also got a really good rock about his little animation where he's just like left right yeah left. uh what, what did you think about the this guy trevor yeah the one thing i got from him was like you have to be very um well not necessarily particular but this is one of the characters where it's basically about trial and error like trying to figure out what triggers his next statement like what can you show him because he's very um reluctant to give you any kind of information and it almost seems like he's not really unwillingly but he's not able but you just man i just went through every single thing in the inventory until i figured out exactly what it was to show him in order to get him to talk to me and so you you end up like not really getting anywhere with him, and um, Maya just kind of boldly exclaims, "She asked the, the 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 parrot, have we forgotten anything?'" And he, the the parrot responds, "Don't forget DL six And you're <laughs> you kind of like you you say that as you're leaving, and then you're like you kind of turn around to try to get back in, but the door has been locked, and so you can't get back inside. So then. You you end up going to Gumshoe and you're like, hey, uh, I think this caretaker, this the belt rental guy, might know a little bit something about the DL six, and um, so then you get some special permission from Gumshoe to go into the I think it's the records or evidence room or one of those two uh, records room, and you can kind of look up the uh, the. Um, files on the DL6 uh, case and uh, so you get a little bit more backstory so um, I think the day right now is it's December 26 2016 so this case is about to be uh, the case happened on December 28th of 20 
2001. So it's almost hit that 15-year anniversary of the Statue of Limitations. And basically, um, uh, the victim, uh, uh, Gregory Edgeworth, uh, Miles' father, he was a defense attorney. He had just lost a case, and him and his son were getting on an elevator, his son being Miles. And um, there was a huge earthquake, uh, and it was uh, that struck at the time that them two plus a third person named, uh, he was a court bailiff, his name was Yanni Yogi, they were caught in the elevator, and it took five hours to rescue them, and uh, when they finally were rescued, two of them were unconscious due to a lack of oxygen, and the third one being uh, Gregory Edgeworth uh, was shot in the heart. Uh, he, he was shot dead uh, in the heart. So, um, uh, I think the, the only other information that you learned was that the suspect, based off the tip from the spirit medium, Misty Faye, was arrested was Yanni Yogi, the, the court bailiff. And uh, he, uh, his attorney was the Robert Hammond, the victim in the current case. And uh, he, was, he found him innocent. And um, he was oxygen deprived and suffered brain damage and lost his memory in the elevator. And after the case, his, his case being found uh, not guilty he basically disappeared. So nobody has seen him for 15 years. So that kind of is where we're at on the DL6. So uh, you've learned a little bit more backstory on the case. You got anything you... Did I I miss anything, Dante? Just one quick thing that I wanted to um, get at. When you go to the boat keeper shack the first time, um, you know there was a second witness to the crime. So... There was at least a little bit of a hint of kind of what you were looking for when you were talking to him. But that was it. Gotcha. And uh, Trevor, you got anything you needed to add? So how many of y'all immediately thought it was going to be this guy after it said he had suffered from brain damage and he had never he was never seen again after that? You're talking about the guy at the at the boat shack? Yeah, the caretaker. I, I didn't even put it together at that point. I mean, I'm going to be honest, I didn't either, but, like, I kind of was thinking, like, this this guy isn't, there's more to him, like, than what meets the eye. So him being the senile old guy, I didn't necessarily think it was an act, but I was like, he knows more than he's, you know, presenting. I was like, okay, there, there's something up with this guy, but I didn't put it together. Man, I must point. watch too much Scooby-Doo or something, because I, <laughs> I immediately suspected him. <laughs> I mean, Once they said that remember DL six thing, I was like, "Oh man, this guy, this guy has a history about him." That's true. That's true. I, I hadn't put it together yet. There was a piece of evidence that you get later that I'm like, "Oh, that that dude, that dude's a dude." But at this point, you don't, you know, I hadn't put it together. But um, so the uh, day, the next day, or that day three trial is um, you are. I think your first witness is this caretaker and I will admit that I, his act got pretty old pretty quick um what's up Dante I was just gonna say were you at all were you at all worried about Von Karma's little um proposition that the trial would end in three minutes oh yeah I completely yeah. forgot uh, about yeah. that 
that was another, I guess that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, kind of the smart remarks he made. And I just thought that was, for a second there, I thought that was real. Like, I thought it was about to go down. Yeah, so so what happens is in the beginning of the trial, um, you, uh, you are, I'm sorry, not you, but Karma, he says, don't worry, the trial is going to end in three minutes, so... Uh, we're going to have, the judge will have his decision at the end of three minutes and start. And basically it's like, I think all of us, well, maybe except for Dante since he's played before, but I know I was playing on the assumption that, oh shoot, this is going to be a super quick, like, like timed section of this game. And I was almost kind of worried. So I was like kind of mashing through to try to read as much text as I could to try to have the most amount of time to present counter arguments and contradictions in the testimony. But, uh, it ended up not happening, but did that did that have any effect in how you played or how you started this this day of the trial, Trevor? Yeah, I assumed it was there was going to be a time restraint on it, and I had to clip through as much as I could, and like it it got to one point where I was just like, man, you know what? Either way, the way this guy is, I'm going to end up losing this. Huh? <laughs> is did you feel the same way, uh, Greg? Yeah, I for sure thought that. Like, I I wasn't sure if it was really being time, but for sure I I was thinking everything was kind of stacked up against you at this at this point because you've got this guy that's kind of kind of senile. You know, you don't really know what you're going to be able to get out of him or what he's going to say, and then he makes that remark and you're like nothing good can come out of this. <laughs> and Dante, like I'm guessing you were just like, did you, did you even think about that? Because I mean, like you played this multiple times at this point, so. Did you, did you, the first time it you was kind of you... funny when it when I first started the trial I thought that was something that happened day one and then I was like wait a second I, I know that some some prosecutor that you go against in this trilogy does that and then sure enough day two rolls around I'm like ah this is a scene this is a scene that really stuck with me throughout all of the series this is like one of those scenes where the prosecutor's just like I'm in complete control you have nothing you can do I'm going to end you as soon as possible. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, it ultimately, like, it's just a, a bluff. Like, I think karma used it as a ploy to make you sweat and kind of uh, make you like, oh, crap. But ultimately, that was not the case. And uh, so you get to cross-examine uh, the boat keeper, the boat rental shopkeeper or whatever at your own pace. And you kind of find out is that um, he does not. I think what is it? He has short term memory. Is is that is that the thing? So he can remember things that happened recently, but he can't remember like he can't remember his name or his his background, his past. But he can remember like events that have happened recently. Um, so it, which is kind of crazy because I don't understand how he becomes a reliable witness because there has to be a threshold of like at a certain point like this is too far back for him to recall the events of this, whatever this thing happening. So it, it to me, it was kind of like a little far fetched just from the jump. Cause I'm like, so three days is not long enough of a thing for him to have issues remembering because it's like, he kind of claimed like, Oh, I saw somebody take a boat out to the lake and I saw this and I saw that. And it's just kind of like, Oh, so he's, he's trustful all of a sudden, like what's going on. And then on top of that too, like, he still had, he was up to his usual antics and kind of being his, 
senile set slash drunk like shtick that he had going on. So like every time you're like cross examining and you're talking, he's sleeping and having the the snot bubbles forming and all that. But then like you ask him the question, then there's like a brief pause, three seconds, four seconds rolled by, the bu- the bubble pops. Then he kind of wakes up and then answers and like. Uh, is like a canned animation that happens every time you're cross-examining him and asking him a question. And after a while, I was like, I just don't want this dude on the screen anymore. It take, it's so, like, I don't like his character that much. Like, I, something's not right with him. Uh, like, not... And uh, something's not right with him, and I'm not really feeling like these interactions we're having. It's just taking too long to get a response from him. Uh, Trevor, do you have something? Did you feel that same way, or...? Yeah, felt the exact same way. Like, I don't know. It it almost didn't even feel like he was actually withholding information. Like, because of his act, it felt like he honestly didn't know anything. And then I started thinking about like how he kept referring to you as Keith and and Maya as Meg, and I'm just like, well, how can he remember that? But he can't remember like other stuff, and he remembers some things. Like, it it just didn't, I don't know, some things just didn't add up. And then, like, on top of that, too, just because of how karma is and how manipulative he is, they've kind of, at this point in the game, they've kind of mentioned that there are some prosecutors. I mean, and so far at this point, the only two that they've mentioned is potentially uh, Miles, but also karma may have tampered with evidence or done something to make the evidence look like it's in their favor so at this point i'm like okay uh i think that he got this story from karma and he didn't necessarily witness these events transpire so it was just kind of like how trustful is this and oh this is the game that karma is playing like this is how he always wins is because he's in the the background cheating and you know like setting setting people up and uh uh i think um every time you uh, every time you try to call him out on something karma he he's doing his best job of just like blocking any type of question like that you are asking at this point to kind of uh to um basically contradict what the witness is saying and eventually all your your objections kind of get overruled and Edgeworth is declared guilty. And it's just like, oh, like, in my head, I'm like, yo, I, I goofed. Like, how did I let this happen? Like, okay, let me run it back. And, like, you don't get to run it back. It's like, oh, he's found guilty. And then, like, the game does this multiple points or this happens at multiple points in this game where you think all is lost. And then it's like anime moment. Like, uh, what do you call it? Like the, um, what do they call it when they, the, the, the hero character just never like hero plot armor. Yeah. The plot armor where it's like, no matter how dire the situation is, like the hero isn't, hasn't lost yet. And then just out of nowhere, Larry burst in demanding to testify because apparently he failed to, I mean, you've seen him both the previous days, but he failed to mention to you that he witnessed the murder and that he was there the night of the murder. Now he didn't witness it, but he was there the night of. So like, you're asking him all these questions about these events that have happened. And at no point did he say, oh yeah, I was there. 
because I mean, I think he said like at one point he had, was already gone, but all of a sudden he wants to be like saving you or whatever. And, um, you know, karma's like, nah, nah, you can't do it, dog. Uh, the judge has already, judge has already ruled, but the judge is like, well, I mean, I just want to make sure we get the truth out or whatever. So he basically gives like a short recess and basically allows Larry to testify to potentially get the truth out there. And how, how do you guys feel about like between the, the guilty verdict and then like Larry coming in of all people to it being Larry, like the person that is a, your basically client's life is on the, is in the balance. And like, you have to rely on Larry. How, how did you guys feel about those two sections? And I'll start with you, Greg. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird how they just, they gave the verdict and then they're like, nah, actually, you know, we, let's think this over again. It was kind of like, to me, it came off kind of weird that they did it, but I guess it's just to add to the suspense. But then having to depend on Larry is also a pretty uneasy thing because it doesn't really come off as like the, the person that you want to depend on. But, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it was, uh, I think the way that they handled that part kind of came off as, is weird and a little anticlimactic, I guess. But, um, but again, I'm still kind of in it for the ride at this point. What about you, Trevor? How'd you feel about having to, between the guilty verdict and having to rely on Larry? I mean, I felt the same way as Phoenix, Wright. I was just like, we've already lost this case. Like, what, how else can, can Larry hurt it? Damn, you got no faith in Larry? <laughs> I didn't at all. Uh, and then, I, I don't know, how about you, Dante? Like, um, it, they, they've done this a bunch of times where, like, they, something happens and it looks like all is lost. And then, like, oh, well, this thing happens. Because, I mean, it happened, I think, in the case previously where, all of a sudden, you hear an objection. You're like, I didn't say objection. The judge is like, what happened? And it's like, you know, Edgeworth on the other side objecting to his own witness. So, like, we've dealt with, like, this suspenseful moment where, you know, the, the case, all is not lost. And how did that make you feel? Like, is it is it exciting when you know what's going to happen? Or, I mean, it's funny. Like, the entire series is literally, like, turnabout trial. That's, like, the Japanese translation. So this trope does happen a lot, but it's still, it's, you know, it's almost like a 90s cartoon where it's got to be dramatic in some way, and they do a pretty good job. And I have an appreciation for this one in specific just because once you find out more details about the Boatkeeper and Von Karma, it kind of makes sense why this, this entire section, I don't think you actually present any evidence. It's just literally you losing the entire time. And that all makes sense in the grand scheme of things in case four. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and me personally, like, I was very, kind of like what Trevor said, I was like, oh, damn, I got to rely on Larry. GG's. <laughs> like, this dude, he's guilty. Edgeworth is going to be found guilty because he is, I think, like, straight up, I, I do think Larry might be, one of my least favorite characters in this game, just because of, like, I just don't see, not that Phoenix Stride is put together, 
but I just don't see how they became friends. Or, like, I, I mean, how they are still like, friends. <laughs> like, Larry's a terrible person, but I think he's a great character. I, did, how do you feel about Larry, Trevor? So, if Edgeworth is like Seto Kaiba, uh, Larry is like, uh, what's his name, Eddie? I thought it was jo- Joey. Joey. Joey, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, like... I just don't like Larry, dude. Like, <laughs> like ultimately, like it's a good thing this this part. But I know going in, he, I mean, he, he's he's the, the the character is the lovable loser, right? So like, he's super unreliable. He's super absent-minded and clumsy, and all these different like tropes of like these type of characters. But like when you when you need him to come through, like the most he does. Like, just out of sheer, like, no, through no, like, fault of his own or not because, you know, like, it's just like, oh, it just happened that he was in the right place at the right time or he said the right thing. Like, it, he totally wasn't going for it. Um, how do you feel about Larry, Greg? Um, yeah, I kind of have the same feeling that everybody else does about him, kind of. You, you don't really, you can't, I, I don't know, I guess I can't really see how you know they have this type of relationship that they have or how even phoenix is still kind of like associating with them but and it goes back to the other thing of you don't really feel very confident in anything that he can do as far as like giving you uh, reliable information or um you know kind of helping you like put together a solid case gotcha gotcha um, so you end up after the recess, you go in and you, you cross examine Larry and the, and this is another weird or whatever. It's like, he's supposed to be helping you unveil the truth of what really happened. And then he tells you his, his testimony, you know, his, and it's, <laughs> he needs to clarify on certain things and you kind of point out some inconsistencies in what he's saying and he gets another opportunity to testify which is weird because at that point like if I'm the judge I'm like hey man look you came in here trying to you know say what actually happened you can't be coming in here and then wasting our time and you know having to clear your story up on the stand we just had this damn recess get together you know like that's how I would have been but I mean it's a it's a game it's a game but I don't know I, I I'm, I'm pointing you out you find everything. out that he wasn't wrong he <laughs> He was right. Lotto was right. Everybody was right. I mean, go. I, I need. I need some more, man. Go ahead. You go ahead. You got this. Okay. So, essentially, the crux of his testimony was the time the gunshot was heard, and he heard a gunshot, and then not too long after, he hears a um, DJ on the radio say. It's about to be Christmas Eve. Whereas in the evidence, you've already seen that the murder or the time of death is just after Christmas. Or at least like like the time that the photo got taken from Lada's camera was right after Christmas. So now there's two gunshots on the lake. And you're kind of just penciling out like what exactly happened. Because Larry heard a gunshot. Lada heard a gunshot. And they were about 25 minutes apart. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you're going off of 
both of these testimonies and you're like, oh, well, both of these people potentially uh, are telling the truth. So we just need to figure out what happened when this gunshot happened versus what happened when this gunshot happened. So um, basically uh, you kind of have to say like, oh, well, that could potentially mean that Edgeworth, or not, I'm sorry, not Edgeworth, Hammond was killed at the first gunshot and not the second one, because I think there was already evidence that pointed out that um, Miles was on the, he was on the boat when the second gunshot went off. So now you, it's up to you. I think uh, the the case, or that day ends with you having to figure out, like, okay, how can we make sure that um, uh, prove that the murder was the first gunshot before Miles was on the boat and not the second one when he was on? And also, we need to figure out what's up with this boat this boat shop caretaker. Like, what's his deal, right? And that's where the, um, what's called, day two trial ends pretty much like, Phoenix deduces that the per, the whole second gunshot thing was to create a witness just because um, by firing twice, you would have caught everybody's attention the first time. So everybody's going to be looking at the lake. So that's why they do it a second time, or at least that's Phoenix's deduction. And then um, I think, is it at this point that he accuses the boatkeeper of being the murderer? Yeah, yeah, and so, like, at that point, the judge wants the, the boatkeeper, uh, boat shop, rental, caretaker, whatever, all those words, to be brought back in to testify, and the bailiff interrupts the trial and basically says, oh, the dude is gone, he's not in the courthouse anymore, so then the judge ends up suspending the, the trial for the day, and there's a search search warrant issued for the caretaker, so... Um, at that point, uh, the, um, the, uh, the trial is over suspended. And so that day is over and, um, you kind of, I think Edgeworth tells Wright, he has this recurring nightmare about basically the events that happened, uh, on the, on the elevator for the, for the DL6, uh, incident. And he basically kind of says like, okay, my dad and, the bailiff, we're going at it. Uh, Yanni Yogi, we're going at it. Yanni drops his gun. I pick up the gun, and I want them to stop fighting, so I just throw the gun, and it hits one of them, or it hits a wall, and then it discharges a bullet, and then I hear somebody scream in agony, and then I black out. And so, like, those are, like, his recollection of... That's this recurring nightmare he has. That's his recollection of the events. And he's been having that throughout his entire life for the past 15 years since that day. So, um... uh, How did you guys feel about that? Did you think that that's actually how things went down at that point? I figured it could... It, I don't know, it just seemed too weird for me to believe that it it really happened like that. Like, I think it was just Miles just kind of being hard on himself. Um, But, yeah, I didn't... I don't really... You know, I wasn't thinking that that was what really happened. Yeah, I definitely didn't believe that was what happened because, I mean, who one who throws a gun? Um, I mean, he was like ten. He's like what fourth grade? Well, he he mentioned something about he picked it up 
and threw it because he was scared of it or something like that? Bro, you never play super I hot. He, <laughs> I, I thought he just picked it up to like and throw it to just like you guys stop arguing. Like I, I thought like it was more like a he was being naive and not necessarily like he didn't know. Like it was just something to pick up to like stop the fight. I don't think he would he knew it was like a gun or anything like that. Or maybe he just didn't think of it like like this is a killing you know instrument. This is just like something I can throw to like make a loud noise. Assuming it didn't discharge, that would make them come to their senses. That's fair. I totally thought that that's how it went down the first time I played through it. I thought that's how it went down. I knew that we were going to figure out more uh, details, you know, but I I, I was like, okay, I I could see that being a thing. Um, So, go ahead. I was just going to say, we're into day... The final day. The final day investigation. And this is where um, you're at your office, you talk to Maya and Larry, and this is kind of where you find out the backstory between Larry, Phoenix, and um, Edgeworth, where he transferred into school, um, Edgeworth transferred into the school, and then one day, like, I think Phoenix was either sick or, like, he was not at P.E. when everybody else was at P.E., no, it wasn't and him, it was Larry, wasn't Well, that's the that's the punchline. Oh. Well, so Larry was sick, but then Phoenix didn't go to PE when everybody else was at PE. And during that PE session, Edgeworth had his lunch money for the month stolen or whatever. And pretty much everybody in the class, including the teacher, all said Nick was guilty and they also like held a mock trial as an example. So what do you guys think about this? Man, them little kids went in. <laughs> Those little kids were like, he did it. He did it. You know, they were they were going in on uh, Phoenix. And Phoenix was like, no, I didn't do it. I swear. You know, all that. And them kids were not having it. Jury of his peers found him guilty. What, what kind of teacher is this? She's kind of a monster, isn't she? She's like, hey man, like everybody else says you did it. Why don't you just fess up? Hey, hey man, teachers nowadays are having slave auctions and stuff like that to teach a lesson, so I wouldn't put it past nobody. Uh, But pretty much you find out that Edgeworth, (laughs) Edgeworth, the person who had his lunch money stolen... Is the $35 too. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah. In the fourth grade, man. This, shoot, $35 for lunch? He takes up after his dad's example and decides to defend Phoenix in this mock fourth grade trial. And then somewhere in the process, um, Larry also joins in and says, hey, you guys should really stop bullying this dude. He probably didn't do it. <laughs> And that's how they became best friends forever until the DL6 incident happened and Edgeworth had to move away. Um, let's see. Marcus, you got it for a second? Um, sure, sure. So, um, uh, you, you go back to the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, go back to the lake and uh, you go to, everybody's looking for the the uh, there's a lot of police officers around. They're looking for the um, boat rental guy, and uh, he's still like missing. And um, you move around and you end up 
getting uh you get into the 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 boat shop he did a lock the boat shop um and so you go in and the 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 parrot is still there and you can kind of talk to the parrot and um you can open up the um he has a safe there and you can open up the safe and it uh you find a letter in there that's very ominous thing get revenge on miles edgeworth and that's very very weird and so you um you end up returning to Miles, and one, Maya, initially, she starts talking to Edgeworth about the class trial, but he doesn't even remember. But then you, you kind of bring out the, um, the um, what's up? No, I was just going to say that letter also details, like, literally everything about that crime up to, like, hey, shoot once now, and then in 25 minutes later, also do another shot. Oh yeah, it kind of lays out the the groundwork for like the case that you're 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 uh, uh, defending. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, so you go to Miles and you talk to him about the uh, the letter, and uh, he kind of um, I think in the letter it also says now is the time to get revenge on the two men who ruined your life, and so it you end up finding out it probably means. Uh, Edgeworth and um, Hammond, and then you're like, oh, that's when you finally have the revelation. Like, oh, is this caretaker actually the this long lost bailiff, this court bailiff, Yanni Yogi? And then so you end up asking him, um, you ask him about the incident some more, and he gives some more backstory, um, and you find out more about the DL6 incident. And, uh, so then, uh, I mean, he tells you what he knows, which is very similar to that dream that he has. It's essentially just the dream that he has consistently recurring. So then you're like, okay, well maybe we can go to Grossberg, the, you know, the, the other attorney and kind of find out any more information on this case. And you end up asking him about the, I mean, you mentioned him, uh, you mentioned to him about Miles dream and you ask him information about Gregory Edgeworth and the spirit medium and um, you present the letter <laughs> the letter from his safe and you um, he recognizes it as doesn't he recognize it as Karma's handwriting the letter it's a handwritten letter and he recognizes it as Karma's handwriting I think so and so at that point it's like oh like I, I things are Un, unra- unraveling, you know, like at least are revealing themselves, unveiling themselves for me, because <laughs> I'm like, oh no, he did it, like and, you know, just thinking like, oh, this is how, this is how karma gets down. Okay, I see, th- I see you, I see you, and um, uh, Dante, you wanna? I was just gonna say it's really interesting because at this point, you karma doesn't seem like he has any dog in this fight, so you're just asking yourself like. Why would he want all of this to happen, all of these tragedies? Yeah, the, the only thing that we know about Karma is, like, he's... At this point, we he has a perfect record. He's never had any strikes against him, and he doesn't like when he's not in control. So, like, the only time you, quote-unquote, see him sweat has been the time when Larry showed up um, for the trial. So, like, Karma is very strict and, like... not Not strict and rigid, but, like... He likes to be in control of things, so like 
he was at a disadvantage when Larry came up because that was not something that he prepared for. So he was way more lax in uh, the testimony and just like objecting to what was going on because he didn't have the time to prepare for it. So that was like his one of his moments of weakness. Because like as Dante had said, like he was killing you that entire trial. Like it looked like all was lost. And the moment there's some like random outside factor that he can't account for, that's when his uh, that's when the truth came out. You know, that's when some more information was finally able to be uncovered. So that's like the one chink in his armor is things that he can't control. So that kind of knowing that about him and then finding out that he had this handwritten letter, he did this handwritten letter to uh, Yanni Yogi at this point, you know, like it's revealed that the caretaker is Yanni Yogi and, or you, you assume, or you, uh, it, it, like evidence by this point. Yeah. Evidence heavily suggests that this is Yanni Yogi. So you basically are trying to get as much information as you can. So you go to Grossberg. Grossberg recognizes the handwriting. And then you find out that Karma didn't leave the trial. Like So you find out that Karma was the prosecutor in the DL6 uh, case. Or I'm, I'm sorry, in the case. And this is going to be a little confusing. So the DL6 incident is the incident that happens with... Uh, the actual killing and the elevator and all the earthquake and all that stuff. The case prior to that was its own separate case. And in that case, it was uh, Gregory Edgeworth um, being the defense attorney for whoever against uh, karma. And even though Edgeworth lost, he put a chink in karma's unscarred or his, his armor and basically revealed that, Oh, uh, Karma has been illegally or like not getting evidence the right way or something. He's doing something that's he shouldn't be doing. And I think Karma gets a warning. Like Karma uh, is using faulty evidence. And um, it's the only penalty Von Karma has ever got in his entire career. And so it was a huge point of pride for him that he had an unscathed uh, record. And this was the one tick on his record. So he almost had a grudge with, uh, he, he did have a grudge with Edgeworth. So Yeah, and um, that you find out that he was flustered, and Grossberg also mentions it's like, this was the one time in his entire career that he took a vacation, and he was gone for several months after that trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So... I think what they were thinking at this point was it's very likely that Von Karma will bring up the DL6 case in the court and Edgeworth will probably end up having to plead guilty for the murder of his dad because as far as he knows what he recollects and what he sees in this dream, he threw the gun and the gun went off and, I mean, there was one gunshot or, you know, like there was evidence of, you know, a a single gunshot being fired and his dad died. So, um, you don't think, you, Phoenix Wright, don't think that he killed his father, and, uh, so Grossberg says there's a file of the incident in the criminal affairs department, so you end up having to go back to the records room, and, um, you end up going to the records room and going to the cabinet filed, uh, labeled unsolved cases and with evidence, and in it you see the DL6 file is empty, and, um, 
then you face, you turn around and Karma's there and he's, you end up talking to him a little bit and he basically, um, he is going to bring up the DL6 case tomorrow and he's sure that he knows that Edgeworth is going to admit his guilt because he's been feeling very emo about this lately. So, um, you show, you show Karma, I'm sorry, you show, yeah, you show Karma the letter that you got in the safe. And he, he mentions, oh, I told Yanni Yogi to burn it after reading it. Um, and before you argue, he knocks you out and, and Mamaya out with a stun gun. Or tase, he tases you guys. But uh, right before that, Maya is able to grab some something from him. You don't know what it is. And then when you come to, you find out that not only did Karma steal the letter you presented him, but he took all the DL6, he had all the DL6 uh case files with him the evidence and um you find out that oh well the thing that Maya was able to grab was like a bullet the the bullet that uh which was fired and um from the gun and so you're thinking oh i got the the bullet that fatally wounded or that came from the gun that uh supposedly miles shot so that that ends that day investigation, right? Is, am I missing anything? I just want to know what everybody thought about getting stunned. Bruh. Is that not assault? <laughs> like, why was this not reported? That was the thing I was thinking. I'm like, yo, so nobody's going to say anything? Like, y'all just going to let him cook like this? Like, alright. The crazy thing was, is like, this is like the third straight case where somebody tried to like lay hands on you. So like <laughs> in case two, that dude straight up punch you, punches you in the face, you know, red, white. And then, and then the third case, uh, D Vasquez's goons are about to jump you. And then that's when gumshoe shows up. So like nobody technically lays hands on you, but in this one you get hit when you get tased. And it's just like, Man, like being a lawyer is tough. He stays catching fades. He's like, "Well, can't do anything." They caught me slipping. I did not see that coming the first time. I was like, "A stun gun?" Hey, man! By any means, I try to get these files and get out of here. And he plays dirty. Also, Phoenix is a moron for like. Would you confront somebody with like, "Hey, I got this letter saying that you pretty much did this murder"? Nope. <laughs> But yeah, um, you want to you want to kick off the the final trial, Dante? Yeah, as soon as um, let's see. So the final day of trial. Do you? Let me let me get down here. Right, Yogi. So pretty much the first thing you do is out him as um, the boatkeeper as Janny Yogi, and. What do you guys think about his transformation where he kind of like buffs up and he's like, oh. Eh, this dude. <laughs> he gets like super serious, like his chest grows like a DBZ character for a second. And then he's like, oh yeah, I, I pretty much remember everything. But um, Robert Hammond, the defense attorney that got him off the hook 15 years ago for um, murdering Gregory, pretty much... He defamed Yanni Yogi in a certain way. Like, he said, oh, he can't remember anything, and he was mentally unstable. And because of that, he lost his job. His girlfriend, Polly, committed suicide. Um, and yeah, he just 
pretty much couldn't get his life together after that, from what I remember. And let's see. Is it at this point where he's declared the actual killer of the first case or the case that's happening in modern time? I mean, at this point, it's kind of hard to say because, like, it's it's hard to get any type of evidence because, like, supposedly he worked at a, uh, after the, um, the case, he worked at a chemical plant and he burned his fingerprints off in a chemical accident. So, like, there was no way you could get prints on him to see even if he was at the crime scene. So, uh, um... I think. Oh yeah, this is the part where Phoenix is or um, Von Karma just jokes, and he's like, "You're out of witnesses. There's no way you're gonna like get any more relevant information on this case. What are you gonna do? Um, Cross-examine the dude's parrot?" And then Wright's like, "That's not a bad idea." And then he challenges him and basically says, "Objection! Hey, if you suggested this, this." Thing, the prosecution suggested this thing. I might as well take him up on him, up on it. So you freaking investigate, or excuse me, uh, cross-examine a parrot in this game. <laughs> like what? What else do you have to lose at this point, right? I mean, you have Larry. I mean, he's, he got to be better than Larry, right? Hang on. <laughs> so y'all weren't planning on putting that parrot on the stand the moment you you heard him say DL six. I just wanted to talk to the parrot more. He didn't have to go on the stage. I could have talked to him outside the case. <laughs> I did not see this coming. Not No iota of my brain said I would be cross-examining a parrot at the end of Ace Attorney. I thought it was freaking awesome. I thought it was... <laughs> and it was funny, too, because, like, the parrot only responds to certain... Uh, like, a certain voice cue or whatever, or, like, statement. So, like, anytime you asked it anything, it just, just squawked and said, my name is Polly or whatever. It was only when Maya asked certain things that it actually gave answers. And, like, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a super clever way of, of showing, like, like here's this harebrained scheme that, you know, you thought is a latch-ditch effort and it's not going to pan out. And then, oh, it actually accidentally was the smartest thing you could have done. <laughs> And I just thought it was like super fitting and I thought it was super I really enjoyed it and I thought it was like, oh man, that's crazy. You get to get to cross examine a freaking parrot. Like if Giant Bomb had a website back back then, like this is quite possibly one of the best moments of two thousand four for me. And I could just imagine on their list saying, Best moment, cross examining a parrot, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. But um, going on to what actually happens in the case, you're cross-examining the parrot, and essentially you get two tidbits from him that link Yanni Yogi to DL6. One, the safe number is 1228, the day that the, um, the incident happened. And then when you ask Polly what's his name, Polly, you find out that that was... Um, Yanni Yogi's girlfriend who committed suicide way back then. So with those two pieces of information, you're able to link Yanni, the boatkeeper, directly back to um, DL6. And then, I think this is when Yanni actually takes the stage. He admits that um, 
he is who you think he is, Yogi. And he also um, explains that he killed Hammond for revenge. And he wants revenge on Edgeworth, and he's pretty sure that's still going to happen. And that's kind of the ominous thing that happens after you get this not guilty verdict for Edgeworth, for Edgeworth on the first case. Marcus? I'm sorry, say that last part. I, I, it, your mic would cut off or messed up for me. My bad. So essentially you get a not guilty verdict for Miles Edgeworth. And I think at this point is when he actually says, hold it, Edgeworth himself. And he's like, no, this trial isn't over yet. Oh, and yeah, this is so this is the part where uh, Karma's prediction or like he he kind of said like, oh, well, we're going to bring up the DL6 tomorrow. And this is the part where Edgeworth basically kind of confesses and he basically explains his nightmares to the to the court and his guilt. And um, basically, Karma wants to try Edgeworth for the DL6 incident before the statute of limitations runs out, which is, this is the day of, this is 15 years to the day of uh, the initial date. So the judge takes like a, gives, grants the court a five minute recess to think about it. And then basically at this point, uh, during the recess, uh, Edgeworth kind of, he's like, my bad Phoenix. Like, I appreciate the amount of time and energy you expended in getting me off the hook for the trial, but, uh, this, this, I, this is something that I've had to atone for, for the past 15 years or something like that. Right. Like he's basically hyping himself up to be <laughs> guilty of murder or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah, you're, you're not us Phoenix, right? You're kind of just pouring over all the evidence that you have, um, in regards to the DL six incident. Cause you're basically like, uh, what, well, you know, like, how can I prove that this um, this thing didn't happen or this didn't happen how Miles thinks it happened? So it's kind of interesting because, like, one case ends and then you just basically pick up in the... Or let me, let me rephrase that. So case four is basically two cases in one where it's like you have this ongoing... Or this, this current case and you have a case that's related to it that happened 15 years in the past... And now it's just kind of like they kind of collide and you kind of end one, but the other one keeps going. And because, you know, karma is like, hey, this is the last day we can do it. We might as well. You know what I'm saying? And the judge is like, I got you, dog. And it's just kind of it's kind of weird to me. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of just like, damn, like, let this man like <laughs> it's, it's, it's been 15 years. Like, how are you going to try him on the last day? That's kind of messed well, up. But that that kind of shows you how karma himself. is. He did it to himself. I mean, you're right, but I think I think Karma kind of like he just he knew he knew. Um, I guess because of like his time, I, I I honestly I don't know. Like they have a history together. I mean, he was the person that trained Edgeworth, but it was just kind of weird that it was just like he knew this was going to happen before you were willing to accept it. it. It was really weird. I'm still trying to figure out why Miles is just so bent on just trying to blame himself for this. Dude, and it kills the character for me. I hate that about him. Like, he went from being like, like super confident, and cocky, and so like just self self uh, sure of himself to just being like, "Woe is me! I killed my dad. 
I'm willing to accept the responsibility. And it's just like, bro, like, I, you not not even a case ago, you were like going back at it with me, where you're saying this could have happened, but did it? Like, you just proved that it was possible. You didn't prove that it happened, and like, you you just have this dream, and you're like. That's what happens. I, you know, I, I sure did shoot my dad, even though I don't remember no evidence about it or like no, like single event of it. I just, hey, this happened, and we're gonna have to take it as face value because that's how I feel. And it's just, it's just like so, almost out of character for what I had come to know as the Miles Edgeworth in the, you know, case two and case three. He just does like a whole one eighty in case four and. I I wasn't I wasn't here for it as a, a fan of the character and, and like I said it kind of turned me off of the character, uh, but that's just me. Um, I guess you want to kick you want to bring it back up D, DL six trial the the when it, they get back out of recess Dante you want to pick it up from there yeah that's fine so pretty much to make a long story short the rest of the trial is about this elevator you're up. You're on this elevator, it's Miles Edgeworth, his dad Gregory, and Janny Yogi. And immediately after the trial where Gregory had the mark um, made against karma, him, his son, and Janny Yogi are on the elevator. An earthquake happens, and I think the power goes out as well. Correct? Okay, I'm going to assume the power went out. Yeah, that's correct, that's correct. Okay. And what Phoenix Wright ends up finding is that there's only one gunshot in Gregory Edgeworth, but you find out that there's also another bullet lodged in the elevator door. Or or at least there's a break in the glass in the elevator door or something like that. So you find out that um, Edgeworth couldn't have killed his dad because the bullet he shot um man I'm trying to think about how they differentiate between the bullets in this case I, I think I think it's like the, the fingerprint that the gun leaves when it leaves the chamber right so like that's almost like the great mouse detective <laughs> there's like a groove that the bullet has when it exits the chamber so like you can kind of tell if a gun shot the bullet because it has these certain grooves that will line up to the chamber of the gun. Well, it was the it was the same gun though. Yeah, but there's ballistic markings and I think the way they differentiated the bullets was there wasn't one that was found inside of the elevator, so one had to come in through the glass in order for it to That's end. right. So you find out that the um when Edgeworth threw the gun, a bullet did fire. But the bullet that he fired was not in the elevator. So that leaves, like, the question, where's the bullet? And this is kind of where Phoenix Wright goes into his, um... I'm trying to think about the best way to describe this. This is kind of like this ultimate epiphany anime moment where he's like, Oh my god, every part of the universe is coming together. So Von Karma was... moment. (laughs) (laughs) You hate it? Like... I know it's a video game, but it's just like when he has these moments. It's it's not apparent to me. It it when like this happens, it's like it's not a game anymore. It's just me watching something unfold, and like I guess maybe I shouldn't see it as like I'm playing a game as I'm creating this 
I'm, I'm like being a part of an anime or something like that because it's just like he comes to some type of realization that's so far fetched and like completely like it seems far fetched anyways and it ends up being like what actually happened but like this case both the cases that we do in this uh part you know case four case five the it's so far fetched in comparison to the other it's just like bro you are really reaching right now and like what are you talking about but it, it ends up being like plausible enough i guess is what like it ends up being the truth but it's plausible enough or believable enough that everybody runs with it but it's just like how did you even get there like what were you even thinking because it's, it's just like he'll see like a he'll have a vision of uh mia saying think outside the box phoenix and then he's like oh man that bullet came from mars like that's the, <laughs> like that's kind of how it happens it seems like do, do you feel that way trevor yeah, and it kind of made me think of how, like, they probably designed these cases and working backwards and creating something that you would automatically, um, or that you wouldn't think of necessarily, and then working backwards from there, obscuring the evidence so it makes it look like that can never happen. Because every time you find a new piece of evidence, it, it doesn't lead you towards that path. It leads you to, well... Maybe something else happened, but then you ended up finding out that the, like the the truth was was different. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the game, and I like what we've played, and like I, I like the final result. But it's just, and I, I agree with you. They probably do work backwards, or like I don't know. Like I'm assuming they work backwards, but it's just like so crazy. The the leap. It's almost like a leap of logic to be like oh, well, Phoenix Wright is the only one on this level to even fathom that this thing can happen, and now it's his job to explain to these mere mortals that he used his third eye to see this crime happen. Bruh, could you imagine how lit that courtroom was when he's like, yo, bring out the metal detector? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's just like, I I don't know, man. I'm just thinking that super hot fire gift. <laughs> yeah, that's, really good. <laughs> that's exactly it. He's just like he he says something, and people are like, "What?" And he's like, he like lets it s- like s- settle for a bit. Then he explains, and then the crowd goes like, you know, the judge has to like the crowd starts murmuring and all this, and the judge has to like order order, you know, like y'all need to pipe down or whatever. And then it's just like it is just like the super hot fire again. <laughs> And then he's 100%. also incompetent, like, every moment before that, too. That's what I'm saying. It's just, like, such a, like, leap of logic where it's, like, like I could imagine that happening with the Miles, you know, um, being like that. But it's, with it being Phoenix, it's just, like, man, he's so green, and this is, like, his third case. And it's just, like, how does this... How is he so confident and able to do this? And I don't know. Like, he's obviously a prodigy, but it's just, like, man, like, what's what's going on? Say what you will, I freaking love the end of this case. Like, the fact that Von Karma got shot. I mean, okay, so all this is going to sound insane when you hear it, but Von Karma happened to be walking past the elevator as the power was going off. Or, um, or No, no, no. The power came back on. The elevator got to the bottom floor or whatever. They were about to find the bodies, but the bullet that... The gun 
that Miles threw dislodged a bullet into Von Karma's shoulder. After that happened, he got struck with pain for a little bit, got really angry, opened the elevator door, noticed Gregory, the guy who just, like, messed up his perfect record in there, and decided to shoot him. And yeah, he got his revenge, and then the he didn't want to have any type of, I guess you could say, paper trail or whatever. So the entire time, that 15 years, he's left that bullet inside of him. He never got it surgically removed because he didn't want any evidence of it having happened. And so when he took his quote-unquote vacation, that was him, like, recovering from being shot. So, like, that was why Phoenix Wright suggested, hey, pull out this metal detector and run it over Von Karma, because he, st- he totally has a metal bullet in his arm still. And it, it was so crazy. crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> oh, man, dressed his own wound, like, had to, like, stitch it up and all, like, that, I don't know, that's crazy. He's And it just, like, shows how much of a perfectionist, not even perfect, I don't even know the word to say it, but, like, he's, like, so doesn't want to be taken off the pedestal that he's on of being, like, a perfect thing and, like, infallible that like he didn't want to one admit that he had gotten shot or anything like that and then on top of that like he he just left this bullet in because like oh like of course like the one scar on his record uh was because of gregory and then uh the one quote-unquote i mean i don't know if this is true but the scar on his body is because of his son and it's even crazy that he just like not only did that happen but then he trained the dude's son. Like, he trained his son, like, after the fact. Like, this guy, like, it was almost like, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. And it was just, like, the guy that he fatally shot, he and, like, the person that put the only mark on his record, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to teach his son the, the game. I'm going to teach his son the game. And it's just, like, what? Like, <laughs> what's going on? I don't know. Like, I... I really, really, really like Von Karma. I, I, I don't like 100% understand his motives and like his, like why he did what he did, but like I like the character a lot. There's a little bit I more do... into that in the second game without saying too much. Oh, he's but... in the second game? No, but you find out more about Edgeworth and stuff and kind oh. of like it's it's a really long story of revenge and him taking his rivals or not even rival, but, you know, Gregory's son, and then training him in the opposite art was kind of a thing. And this sounds like some Star Wars stuff. Kinda. Ultimately, though, Edgeworth was found not guilty in not only the original OG case, but also this DL6 case. So he uh, he beat the cases. And uh, I think this is the end of the... D, I'm sorry, the GBA version of the game, right? So there's only four cases. So I believe, like, <laughs> uh, the way that the 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 way the story wraps up is, um, uh, so Edgeworth, you know, he thanks Wright, and Larry uh, ends up giving uh, Edgeworth an envelope containing the thirty eight dollars, and you guys kind of find out that oh, fifteen years ago, it was actually Larry that stole <laughs> his money. And uh, I guess Edgeworth had deduced that already. Um, he knew all along, but he couldn't see why uh, Larry stood up for Wright. So 
I don't know. It, it, it was just like some tender moment that the three of them had. And then um, a lot of heart. She took a, she was at the court and uh, she took a photo of the crew. So it was uh, Larry, Phoenix, Miles, uh, Maya, and um, Gumshoe. And she later stated that there was also a ghost in the picture. You can see on the far edge, it's kind of like a very approving looking Mia, like her like ghostly apparition or whatever. And then, uh, so that's how that day ends. And then the the, the story ends kind of in an interesting way. Like credits are, this is during the The credits. The credit scenes are really good. Yeah, the credits in this game are awesome. Um, so, like, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, produced by, directed by, or, you know, developed by, blah, blah, blah. But in between some of those things, they'll show, like, little blurbs of, like, okay, here's this character. They're talking to you and kind of just giving you a little bit of background or, like, story about what's going on. So you kind of find out that uh, you wake up to a note from, from Maya, and she basically, she left to do some spirit training because she was kind of bummed out that this, I think this entire case four, she was... Throughout the case, she was trying to talk to uh, Mia, but she hadn't been practicing her training, uh, her training, so she was not able to do it. So, like, she wanted to be there for... She wanted to be able to do that more um, easily. So she was going to go uh, training. So she goes to the train station to head home to go to start training. And uh, uh, basically, you meet her at the train station before she leaves. She kind of is, like, down on herself because she didn't help at all. But then you point out, or Wright points out, that when we were in the records room right before we got tased or, you know, stun gunned, you got that bullet from uh, Karma, and that that hooked the, that helped us out. And then she kind of, like, tearfully gets on the, tra- uh, the train and says when she comes back, she promises she'll be a better medium. And, um, yeah, like, you kind of catch up and see some little blurbs of uh, stuff with some of the other characters, too. But, like, I think hers was the most... Uh, what important or like, like I, I guess because I guess she's going to be a big big character in the second game. Yeah, I'd say that hers and Edgeworth are the most like relevant to the story. But I mean, you, you during this credits, you get to see like a lot of the cat, like Lada's in it, the the, the bellboy from Case uh, Two's in it. Like, I mean, you're you're seeing a lot of characters. So. I think you see everybody at least once. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, we got to play pretty hot and fast with this case five um, yeah just just a quick rewinder how'd you guys overall feel about this case four like assuming like we were playing the gba version like do you think feel this was a good ending or like for the game were were you satisfied with (laughs) what was going on and where it was left off at yeah i think at this point i'm kind of I, I I don't think that I'm looking for anything else out of it at this point. So I would say I'm I'm pretty satisfied with how it ended. What about you, Trevor? Yeah, there was a lot more character development than I thought there'd be, uh, simply because like the cases that you play in are really close to home. Like somebody you know is involved in all the cases, so a lot of the characters you're dealing with, um, you know, get a chance to um, appear more than once, and so there's a lot of development there. I think it's also really cool how pretty much all the cases, maybe bar three a little bit, is really just culminating to case four in a large way. Like DL6 is introduced really early. You get the whole spirit medium thing pretty early. And everything's kind of building off of itself, even with like Larry and Phoenix in the first case. 
Yeah, there's a there's a, a big through line between like from the beginning of the game all the way to this point. So it was kind of cool to have almost like a self-contained story within. Like it was self-contained onto this game, as far as we know. But um, it, it kind of the, that line ran through multiple different cases and stuff. So you got a little bit of information as the time went on and everything. So that that was cool. Um, I, I felt like it left off in a good spot, and um, I felt like it was a kind of what Trevor said. This game, this case, taught you how to play the game, or like prepared you for the game the best. So it was good that like they they ratcheted up the difficulty on the last case, quote unquote, last case. So, like, I, I definitely would have felt accomplished or, like, I would have felt good where the, the game ended. But luckily or not luckily or, I guess, depending on how you feel about it, um, with the, the trilogy, uh, we get the um, the fifth case, which is uh, Rise from Ashes. And this is, uh, like, I, I, like Dante has stated many times, um, this was released, I think, I think the way he said it was, there was three games that came out on GBA. Ace Attorney 1, 2, and 3. This version of the game was ported to the... Uh, the first game was ported to DS, and they uh, added the fifth case, and that uh, was supposed to be like a... Here's what to expect uh, with the DS version when Ace Attorney 4 comes out. So uh, they, this was kind of like a... Not even a proof of concept, but like a... like a uh, Would you call it like a expansion pack or... I forgot. It almost feels like a demo of what's to come. Yeah, but this this case is way longer, way longer. Let me say it one more time. Way longer than uh, this is like twice as long. This case took me twice as long as case four, which was case four was already pretty long. I think case four was like a five six hour case, and this case took me eleven. 11 hours, 11 and a half hours. It's like the length of the entire game. Basically, yeah. It's the length of the entire game. So um, we did our best, fam. Um, I think of the four of us, I think me and Dante were the only two that beat Case 5. I believe Trevor was about two-thirds. Well, I mean, he was on the end of the second day. But if I'm being honest, he probably... was at the end of the third day. Because there's four you were days. The day three investigation. Yeah. There, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So he, Trevor was still like he still had a third of the game to go. Like he was two thirds of the way through the game, and Greg had only finished the first day, so he was probably only like an hour and a half in or something, two hours in. So um, we are not going to be talking too much about the story for this one i think we will just focus on just for time's sake too uh we will just be focusing on some of the things they kind of introduce um i guess as far as the case goes the only thing that you need to know oh i guess i'll introduce it um so i think the uh it's set two months after the last case. Uh, Phoenix Wright is brought out of a self-imposed break to investigate a case involving a friend of his mentor from law school who has already confessed to a murder. So, like, this case is almost brought about as being, like, a parallel to the um, Mia and Maya relationship. So, you're, you meet this girl, Emma Skye, who's a 16-year-old girl. She basically claims that her sister was found of murdering uh, a detective. 
Her sister is a the chief prosecutor, um, Lana Sky. So it already draws parallels to Maya and Mia's relationship. And they basically, um, it almost, at least your relationship with Emma, almost mimics your relationship with Mia. She's a relatively young uh, high school slash teenage, uh, teenage uh, girl. Um, she is not, <laughs> she's uh, almost there for comic relief. Uh, she's a was it science investigator is her title. So she's not a medium, but she's very scientific and has a lot of uh, things to help you find evidence. And but she is very uh, uh, Phoenix Wright thinks outside the box in court. This girl thinks outside the box in life. So she has the most like off the wall <laughs> reasonings for why something is the way it is. And um, uh, and, but ultimately, like you, uh, a lot of the same characters are involved. Um, I mean, you're Phoenix, right? Uh, Miles is the prosecutor, um, and Detective Gumshoe is in this as well. But, um, there's a, a cast of characters in this, um, there's like six or six characters, I think. Yeah, so there's, um, they, they are, they are some characters. I will say that, like, uh, how many of the characters did you meet, Greg? Like two or three of them? Yeah, I think three of them. It was <clears throat> the cowboy dude. Um... <laughs> what a character. Uh, yeah, so you, you meet um a cowboy, you meet the two Sky sisters, you meet um the chief uh of police, a uh lowly cop, and then you Meek meet Mill? Meek Meekins <laughs> and a um a uh, lunch lady, a uh, former detective called Lunch Lady. And I will say, uh, not to get too much into the characters, but uh, one, the lunch lady is probably... I, I couldn't stand the lunch lady. She was so annoying. She was so annoying. How did you guys feel about Angel? Her name is Angel Star. Hey, she got snacks on snacks, though. She got snacks on <laughs> snacks. It's just like... Anytime you talk to her, she uh, she basically hung out around the courthouse or whatever the, the 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 parking lot, and she just handed out lunches to people, and that was her job. And she just like I don't know, she was very annoying. She was like a mix between uh, Miss April, <laughs> the 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 very seductive uh, secretary, and uh, for me, anyways, a mix between that and um, the uh, what's it called? Um, Yanni Yogi. It was just like a combination of the two, like those two personalities. Slow animation. <laughs> Slow animation with an annoying personality, and it was just like I both those things I couldn't stand about those characters, and they just combined them and made it this character. And I was like, ah, I couldn't stand having to investigate her or excuse me, talk to her and then cross examine her. It was so frustrating, and it's just like, oh my god. She served you up an extra helping of um, squid rolls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see, some of the other characters. Uh, so Meek Meekins was a lowly police officer. Uh, he was a witness. That's, uh, all these characters were witnesses and, like, you know, figures that you need to talk to. But he's, like, a super incompetent, like, he damn near looks like a high schooler, but he's a cop. And he just was, like, super bad and super green. And um, he was pretty interesting. Uh, almost think of, like, a... Like a, a cop version of Gumshoe. I was going to say a more incompetent, a cop version of Larry. 
he was like a worse version of Larry, right? I mean, it seemed like I can see that. Any you know, he was wrong place, wrong time all the time, and he just didn't know what he was doing. Why was this animation like so much more cartoonish than everybody else's? I have no idea. I think they were just trying to show like how I don't know. I, I think like even going to his character portrait, it's a lot different than the other ones. It looks almost like a cardboard cutout in some ways. He just looks like those kind of kids that are like bullied in high school, like like because they made him look super young. Like he wasn't old enough to be a cop, but he was somehow, and he was just the most incompetent cop. And like it was really <laughs> it was interesting. And then uh, one of the other uh, witnesses, James Marshall, the, the 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 cowboy guy, Greg was talking about one to me. He had the best theme in the game. Oh my god, his he had like a western. Like he was dressed up like a western and he he talked like he was a cowboy. So he was always talking about rodeo and he called um he always called what's her name uh Emma Bambina or whatever. And he was talking about six shooters and he wasn't good with technology and he wore like a poncho and like a sombrero like a cowboy hat and like his his two animations like he would cycle between was like shaving his like his beard with a, um, he had like a super like scraggly beard or whatever, um, or five o'clock shadow, if you will. And he had like a, a, a full ass bo- uh, Bowie knife that he was like, you know, scraping his chin with. And his other animation was taking a swig from his, uh, flask. And man, like, I, I, how do you guys feel about this character? I, I, he's not my favorite character, but he has the best, he has the best theme to me. And I did like, I did like his character though. It wasn't my favorite, but it was up there. Uh, from the limited time I had with him, I thought it was pretty cool. I dug his animations. I think he's one of the cooler characters in the game, to be honest. Trevor, he's a hate. He sounds like a hater. He's a hate. No, I mean, I didn't too much care for like his theme because at first, like, I don't know. He had one of those those Western vibes where he was like the. The Native American who became the sheriff, or something like that. Sure. I mean, I don't know. It was just, it was just to, weird. To to be fair, I I will say that um, I don't think you got far enough. Well, my my turnaround on the character is like you're almost to that point. Um, because before then, I was like, this character's kind of lame. He's kind of like, um. I don't really get why they decided to put this type of character in the game because everybody else is like, you know, it's modern times and this dude is like, he's back in the 1800s or just like the, you know, the frontier times or whatever. And like, he didn't really add anything, I felt like, besides that godlike theme. But uh, when you find out his motivation for why uh, certain things transpired in this uh, case, then I kind of like, had a turnaround on his personality and like at that point he's been around for so long that his like cowboyisms didn't really grate on me anymore and they were kind of endearing in a way and uh yeah uh I don't know I I, I ended up liking the character uh so yeah how, how about you Dante how do you, how do you feel about Officer Marshall I have a genuinely milk toast reaction to him where I just I don't care for him one way or the other for real he's just kind of there and 
Yeah, I just don't have too much to say about him. His his arc is cool, like you said, but I don't know. Yeah, and like the the thing I I guess maybe I appreciate this even more too is because this case is so long. Like we, we're we are not joking when I say like this is twice as long as case four. It's damn near like. I mean, I think I played this game for 24 hours to beat all these cases, and I would say 11 to 11 and a half of those hours were just case five. So, like, you almost get as much time with these characters as you would throughout the entire rest of the game. So we saw this arc between, you know, uh, Phoenix and Larry, Phoenix and Maya, Phoenix and Miles in the span of three or four cases previously. You kind of almost get a, not a similar arc, but some of these characters, you get a an arc uh, with them as well. And like, um, say what you will about the case, but everybody feels pretty complete by fleshed the out. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say is, and it's, I will say this, and I'll introduce the last character. I don't feel like they did a good job. This, I mean, this takes place in between game one and game. I'm sorry. This takes place a little bit after the the ending of game four or the the case four. Case four. But like Miles, like damn near does not like. He it almost is like you didn't get him off the hook the last case. He just doesn't really. I don't know. Like he doesn't both seem of these cases are him dealing with his demons. Yeah, and, but yeah. he doesn't seem appreciative of the fact that the things you did for him. So it's almost like that case didn't happen. And like you did say, he is dealing with his demons. So uh, the the demons he's dealing with in case four is his past. The demons he deals with this one is like the accusation that he uses faulty evidence. Kind of like the accusations that have been on his mentor, on a, Von Karma in the previous uh, case. He's kind of dealing with that too. So... Um, he has stuff going on, but it just kind of seems like you could literally go from case three to case five and not like miss a beat. It seems like, you know, like his attitude towards you doesn't really change. And I didn't necessarily like that because like. So this is kind of a weird thing since this isn't the way most Western audiences would have played the games or the order. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that happens in 4 and 5 especially set him up for how he is in Ace Attorney 2 in a lot of ways without saying too much. Okay. So I think right. you, if you do continue on with the series, I think you'll be pleased and you'll kind of see why 4 and 5 needed to happen to get him to where he is in Ace Attorney 2. Okay. Okay. I mean, like, I, overall, I like Case 4, but I just didn't like where it left his character at. And I was kind of hoping that they would revert back to the old miles at the very least or like he'd have some appreciation for what you did in case four but it kind of didn't seem that way it kind of seemed like oh he was still going through it was almost like oh it's just a continuation of case four miles almost and i didn't really appreciate that i can see it in the outside of court sessions but at least in the inside of court things yeah kind of working together with them again so it was kind of like the end of case three if that extended on Further. Definitely, definitely. And then, so, like, the last character you meet is the chief of police. Name is Damon Gant, and this dude is a G. He has, like, um... Uh, he has an orange suit. I mean, he's dressed up. He almost kind of looks like, um... You? 
No, no, not even. I was gonna say like if you guys ever played Darkstalkers, he looks like Slayer from Darkstalkers, who's the vampire guy that fights with um uh I mean he's smoking a cigar the whole time, but he's in like a dapper suit. He has like the same stylization of hair, the glasses, he has the uh the chin strap beard or whatever. But this dude like and it's funny because I talk about those other two characters that have those long, drawn-out animations. They play it to such a good effect with this character. I, I love it so much, and I can't explain it, uh, why I like it with him compared to the others. Because, like, he has an animation where you say something, and he just stares at you. No text bubble, nothing. For, like, three or four seconds. Then a text bubble pops up, and then his expression kind of changes, and he's kind of jolly, and he starts clapping, and they have a clapping hand, like a Man, uh, sound effect. That sound effect is great. I know, I know. And it's just like, it, it's like you say something, and he looks at you like you're the dumbest person in the world for, like, three or four seconds, and you're just kind of like, uh, is he going to respond? Then he does, and he's, like, just jolly or whatever, and, like, I love it so much, and it never got old. Even when, like, things turn on his character arc, it still plays out in the same exact way. It goes from being like, oh, is this dude about to jack me up? Or it goes from being like, did I say something wrong to, oh, is this dude about to jack me up? Or, like, and it's so good. And he has one of my favorite animations in the entire... He has my favorite, like... I'll say one of my favorite, because I still really like Miles when he gets shocked by uh, uh the kid but uh i, I don't want to say it because trevor hasn't hit it yet but he has one of my favorite animations in the entire game when he yells out no and i wanted to take a screenshot of it but it happens so quickly that it happens like three times but you don't get to uh it doesn't freeze on it like it does for the other animations yeah it's a little shocking when it but happens. you know what i'm talking about right dante I think so. I think, uh, oh my god, <laughs> Marshall has a, a similar animation. I haven't seen the one that you're talking about where he yells "no" and like his his poncho kind of flutters in the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, wait till you see Damon's though. Wait till you see Damon's. Uh, it's it's really good. Um, but but that's that's really it for the characters. Um, this this there's a a ton of evidence that you find. I think you end up finding like four up to you get up to four pages of evidence in this case which all the other cases is like two minimum or maximum. Uh, but the, the really the only other thing we need to talk about for case five is the new stuff they added, the, 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 the DS specific stuff. So I think we all kind of hit this. Um, uh, overall, the game plays very similarly to uh, the first game, but they, they introduced a couple of key things, and I just kind of want to get your guys' takes on them. So one of the first things they introduce is uh, previously, in the previous cases, when you got a piece of evidence, it just went into your evidence, into your court records as a portrait. This is just a static portrait that, you know, like had a blurb of text. But some of these pieces of evidence, uh, they'd they'd go to your court records like before and they'd have a portrait. But if you clicked on check, you would get like a 3D, uh, like, image of the the uh, piece of evidence and you could rotate it on its x and x and y axis in order to basically like turn it to look it at it from another angle or upside down or like you could look at all you know from any point of view or uh, any vantage point or any angle on the piece of evidence so you could kind of explore and find other things on it and i was wondering how did you guys feel about that because I, I i personally i thought it was awesome like 
not everything had like stuff that you like you could not every piece of evidence allowed you to do this with it and not everything had something that was worth pointing out but just the fact that you could turn this stuff around and like look at it was so it was really cool to me and I, I was not I didn't know what to expect going into case five and anytime I had a piece of evidence like that I thought it was super cool uh, how, how'd you feel about it Greg uh, you guys were talking about the just the, uh, being able to examine the evidence, right? Yeah, just the 360 angle. Uh, I thought it was cool. I guess at this point in the game, it's it's enough to kind of um, shake things up a little bit because you've kind of gotten the groove of, you know, the, the I guess the gameplay groove of, you know, trial, go look up evidence, uh, kind of rinse, repeat. But um, it was nice to have a little bit of uh, a little bit more control in that. What about you, uh, Trevor? Um, they were very welcome additions to this game. Like, I honestly thought this is how the game was going to be when I first started playing. Like, I was honestly expecting to be able to explore the crime scenes more, um, analyze stuff, be able to look at evidence. Um, and so um, I was glad that it was introduced in this case. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, what about you, uh, Dante? Like, I mean... So, I kind of have a mixed feeling about it. Traditionally, like, the original three games are my favorite in the series. And... This is the beginning is the of the end. <laughs> the beginning of the purity, or the beginning of the end as far as the purity. <laughs> I mean, it's... Every Ace Attorney game is good, in my opinion. Very good. But, um... Sometimes with the evidence stuff, it gets a little weird. And normally, like... With the 3D evidence is where I'd find hiccups, and maybe that's on me for not like fully examining everything or whatever. But I think it, I think it's a good addition overall. Yeah, so that that was one of the things that they added. Um, another thing, like I said, um, Emma Sky, she's your the scientific investigator, so she has two tools on her that she can use to. Um, help you investigate the crime scene a little bit more. Uh, the first one that she introduces is uh, this, uh, I think it's called a luminol, luminol fluid. And it's basically like this spray that you can do on a crime, in a, in a crime scene to kind of see where blood stains and, you know, just anything related to like blood uh, stains, bl- uh, fingerprint or blood smudges and smears and all that. So the way they implement it is they show on the, the bottom screen, you can kind of just tap and that you use that every tap as a spritz of um, the luminol fluid. And you can kind of just go ham on the, on the, in the uh, uh, crime scene to kind of just spray wherever. And you can kind of just like see blood stains and any type of blood on the, in the crime scene to investigate further. Uh, and then the other one and I'm not sure if you got this far, Greg, uh, but she had a uh, fingerprint kit. And uh, that was also really cool because you could, um, uh, you know, dust fingerprints or dust fingerprints, you know. So you could like, oh, there's a handprint or fingerprints at this crime scene. Let's see who it matches up with. So then the way they do it is, uh, again, you kind of like shake this powder out. Like every time you tap on the bottom screen, it shakes a little bit of powder out. So you can start shaking the powder out onto the 
screen and then you blow into the microphone of the uh, 3DS or DS, excuse me, to blow away uh, the dust in any areas where there's not any fingerprint, it doesn't stick. So wait um, a minute. What's up? Like, is this like the the Zelda blowing into the the microphone thing? They don't have this on the iOS version. Uh, of course not. <laughs> Oh, see, I, I man, I didn't realize they didn't have that. I was, I, I meant to ask, but I assume they did. Yeah, it didn't. It so, didn't indicate any anything like that. It just said to um to swipe away. Oh, that's lame. A, yeah, that's lame. Yeah, dude, you get to you get to actually blow into the. Well, at least on the, I'm playing on three DS, but I'm assuming it's the same with the, with the DS. But yeah, it was just literally. I mean, I was doing it in bed one day, like, and Alyssa, my wife, she was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm blowing the dust away. I'm trying to show these fingerprints." She's like, "Can you do that somewhere else? That's annoying." <laughs> and um, yeah, dude, like, yeah, you can. Uh, just throw out an entire like a whole bunch of like dust on the screen and then yeah you blow into the microphone and it blows it away it, it was it's it was really cool so i'm guessing you didn't have to deal with that either greg because weren't you playing on the phone or did you even get that far oh no i didn't get that far did you do the blood you did the blood stuff though right yeah okay okay what's up what's up dante okay there's two things so going through the case did you ever run into any of the blood easter eggs i should say uh, probably not. <laughs> so, when you're in uh, Marshall's office, you can um, spray the luminol stuff, and you will find some blood on top of the cactus, and it leads to some pretty good dialogue. Same thing with Miles Edgeworth's office. But anyway, aside from that, I was going to ask, after I told you that you can use um, the Y button to, um, well, you don't Hold use it. the Y button... Yeah, you can hold it in objection with your voice by holding a button. Did you yeah. start doing that at all? I did it some. Like, uh, the entire time I was playing, I didn't do it until, like, Case 5. Because uh, most of Case 4 and the beginning of Case 5, I was, like, not home playing. I was out in public, and there was no way I was going to be talking to my 3DS and out in public. But I did do it a couple times uh, uh, while I was playing at home. Pretty good, right? It is pretty good. It's very good, actually. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think. I guess the only... I think there was only one up, Two other. Two other instances. So, um, you get to a crime scene, uh, and um, there's a jar, and it's broken. And um, it's a piece of evidence. And um, there's nothing you can do with the individual pieces, but then uh, using this... Because of the new technology with the, the the DS, you're able to piece together um, this this jar. And that's also kind of cool. So um, uh, you get to, like, rotate the pieces and kind of put them into place and all that. So that was, like, a cool, neat little puzzle that they have you do. Um, I, I, I guess... I, I Did you do that, Trevor? I think that's past where Greg is. Yeah, I got to that part. Okay, and then... Um, I know you're you didn't get this, or you, at least you said you did. Maybe you got there later. But then they had another uh, piece of evidence that was a videotape, uh, surveillance tape, and you got to see like characters walking and three D renderings of these characters walking. Did you see that? Yeah, that tripped me out. Like I like I guess because I've been playing this game so long, I hadn't seen any type of actual like continuous animation 
until this right? scene. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. And then I also just 3D renderings of these characters too, because they've all been like, you know, stills and portraits and all that, right? So that that was really interesting to see. You could basically watch this videotape, uh, surveillance tape, and you could pause it, rewind it, fast forward it, and uh, that was that was pretty interesting. And um, I really, I think uh, the only other thing that they introduced, and this is later on, is at one point you have to prove that something actually wasn't at a crime scene, and so you get to use the rotating uh the rotating feature to kind of like mimic the shape of a silhouette that a character has drawn and uh that part was very frustrating it took me like four or five times to to line it up to the right spot and did you you have that same issue right dante dude that part can just go burn itself yeah and and it's, it's it's during the trial uh phase of the game too and luckily when you present the shape that you create uh, to the to the judge, they don't dock you if it doesn't look like what it needs to. Because otherwise, I would have failed out uh, a couple times. And um, but that was really it that they added for for case five. Um, as far as I'm concerned, go ahead, Dante. This isn't like a gameplay edition per se, but one other interesting aspect of court five or um, case five is that it deals a little bit more with, like, legal knowledge and, like, the rules of court and stuff like that. And I thought that was an interesting twist on what you traditionally have. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, that was definitely involved. One of the things, so I finished this, this case yesterday night. And I'm not going to lie I think me and Dante talked about this a bunch. Uh, this this was my least favorite case in this game. And it was probably the hardest case in this game. The most frustrating case I experienced in this game. And um, I... The most boring case in this game. The most... Like... The most everything, basically. Um, and I really when I finished the case or when I was getting close to, I mean, I put six hours into this case yesterday and like halfway through, I was really sour on this case. And I was just like, I hate this case. And after sitting on it overnight and like thinking about it today, I don't think the case is as bad as I was saying it was yesterday. And I also, um, I didn't like how it wrapped up yesterday but after sitting on the ending as well, there is a lot of that uh, uh, Phoenix Wright's third eye seeing this thing that only he can see, and he's the only person that can prove that it happened. And it was just a very, is especially frustrating personally because this case, so like the case four was two cases in one. This is damn near like three, maybe even four cases in one, and. It it's it gets very convoluted because you're finding evidence for different cases while you're you know doing stuff and so like a lot of times but like I said by the end you have like four pages of evidence that you can present and so by the time it's at the end it's like okay like this would the, you know you need to uh, contradict something in a testimony and you have like 
that one piece of evidence, but it's kind of sometimes it's kind of hard to know which evidence you need to present in order to contradict what they're saying. And uh, I don't know, like I did not, I, I failed a bunch of times in this case and got caught, uh, stuck a couple of times, but I don't think it's that, like it's compared to the rest of the cases, I don't think it, it, it's my least favorite, but I still think overall, like it's okay. I just wish it was, it wasn't as long. Uh, if that if that makes any sense, uh, Trevor, you thought this one was the hardest. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think this is the by hardest. By far, case. I don't know. I thought this one did a better job at leading you to your next objective than the other um, cases. But I mean, you say that being like two thirds of the way through, and I'm not saying like it will get harder, but I, I feel like a lot of times it's it just a lot of. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I played this over the course of a week, this case. So maybe it's the amount of time that I took in between each playthrough or whatever. But it, it just, like, there was a lot of times where... There's a, a specific part where you do something and you got to ask Gumshoe a question. Or you basically got to prove Gumshoe that both these pieces of evidence are important. And... I proved to him one was important, but I didn't remember what the other piece was. And I kept trying to re-trigger the dialogue to see the portrait so I could see what it was in order to re- refresh, rejog my memory and in, in order to present what I needed to present in order to prove that it was important. But I couldn't get him to show me the picture because there was no way it was going to pop back up. So I ended up walking around to other people, showing them evidence, and then getting giving the canned response that this isn't relevant. And it's like, what the hell you mean? This is super relevant to, like, they give you, like, when you present evidence to certain people, um, there's certain evidence that they're saying, oh, that's not important, or blah, 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 and they give you some canned response. And you present them evidence that is important, they give you a different response. And, like, I just couldn't figure out how to trigger that response for Gumshoe. And it was so frustrating. And that was, like, the one time in this entire game that I played that I had to look it up. Because I was stuck for, like, 20, 20-ish, 30-ish minutes. I even, like, turned the game off at a certain point. I was just, like, I just, like, saved it, turned it off. And I, I, I tried to think about it. I went to go do something. I was thinking about it while I was doing that thing. I went to go do something else. And I'm, like, oh, this is obviously I have to present this thing. I turned the game back on. And, I you know... I try to do it and it doesn't work and I'm like, damn it. Like I just sat here for 40 minutes doing other things, thinking about this game and I still didn't make any progress. And uh, you got anything you need to add, Dante? Cause <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on this one where I, I've played through this game at least three times at this point, maybe four. And this is still the one where like inevitably there's something that always like just stumps me where I'm like, I, I know I talked to this guy, and I know I need to trigger this. And logically speaking, this was the last scene that had a quote-unquote cut scene before it, so it's probably something I need to do here, but I can't figure out what I need to do. Yeah. But also, I'd like to um, go back to your point of just like, sometimes when you walk away from the game and you're just left thinking about it, I really like that feeling, even though it can be frustrating at the same time. I like that feeling and I didn't really experience it until this case. Unfortunately, a lot of times when I was thinking about it, I was thinking out of thinking about it out of frustration and not out of like reverence or like oh, like 
I really, you know, like the, the few times I prior when I thought about the game, I was like, man, this game is awesome. I really like it. When it happened to be this case, every time I was thinking about it in real life, it was just like, man, what do I need to do in order to get past this part? You know, like that, that was what it was this entire case for me. And, um, I, I think that, uh, the main, I guess the main issue I have kind of like what you're saying is like, I feel like a lot of times, you know, you, you always ask the question before you present evidence. And I just felt like a lot of times the question that you're asked was a little bit confusion, confusing or misleading to make you second guess the evidence that you should be presenting in order to progress. And I feel like the earlier cases did a better job of like what, you know, they would say something like what proves that the, the, the witness was at the crime scene. And it's super easy, but then, like, the way they worded it before, while you were presenting evidence in this case was just, like, it didn't help out in that situation the same way it did previously. I, I don't know how to explain it other than that, and that's not even really a great explanation. I All think right. that's pretty spot on. <laughs> I was like, oh, you don't agree? Okay. Um, I, I, think, I think it's... It's not a bad case, Trevor. Uh, I, I think it's definitely worth finishing out, especially since you put so much time in. And I think you should finish it out too, Greg. But uh, I, I think if you had any type of issue with the way case four ended, as far as like that leap of logic and just like how Phoenix Wright is the only person that can see this thing, how it actually are, you know, can only, he's the only person that can see this thing, how it, it happened. Then you are going to have a trip uh, when you, um, with the way this this story ends, because there is there is a lot more leaps of logic in this one, um, you know. Did you guys think that it that the payoff at the end of Case Five was was good or like? I don't know. I have a different perspective. It, it basically, uh, I think one of the characters that I liked arced in one way. The character the arc of the other character that I liked arced it the other way. So I'm kind of indifferent on the ending in, in the sense that uh, it was good for one character and not so good for the other character. Ultimately, uh, if what Dante says is true, and I believe him, uh, it would probably be good for Edgeworth. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pro the ending of the case because it came to a conclusion that will lead Edgeworth to being back to being Edgeworth, which I'm I'm cool with that. So I don't want to spoil too much else though, so I Yeah, think without saying ending. without saying too much, um I think Marcus pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's not there's a really good breakdown at the end. Um everything resolves itself and it's a little bit harder to follow than case four, which Case 4 can be a little bit hard to follow on its own, so I can definitely understand that criticism. It sets up a really interesting part of not only Ace Attorney 4, but Ace Attorney 2 as well. So, if you plan to continue on with the series, it's definitely like... I don't think the case itself is great, but I think as far as world building and... I guess... As its own little standalone thing, if you don't treat it as part as a part of Ace Attorney One, then I have a lot more respect for it. 
And I remember disliking the case the first time I went through the game and the following time I went through the game. But this time I was a little bit more neutral on it just because I kind of recognized all the things they were trying to do with it. It's probably the most ambitious case in the game, which is kind of a weird way to put it because I feel like all the cases are very lovingly crafted. But they kind of went overboard with this one. It's almost like you have too many chefs in the kitchen at once. And they're like, let's try to make the best case ever. And the dish itself is pretty good. But there are a lot of like charred edges just because certain components couldn't be curtailed to the extent that the rest of the game was curtailed to. So yeah, I definitely recommend trying to finish the case. And if you can't, don't let that hold you back from the rest of the series. Because one, difficulty-wise, it's pretty much as hard as the final case of the trilogy. And then two, length-wise, it's the longest case of the trilogy. Yeah, it's it's almost like, so case two is like a case in a case. And then case three is like, yo, dog, I heard you like a case in a case. Or we're going to put two cases in one case, and then we're going to double the length. And it's just like, if... if four was at all confusing or like you kind of got lost a little bit like i think that is just going to be double like i felt this a lot of the same feelings i felt in four i felt like were amplified in five and a doesn't it feel like case five could be its own game like if if they sold you case five on a ds cartridge three three case game three case game because there's literally three cases like i mean they're all related in the same way that the case, the two cases in case four were related, but it was just like, like you literally find a piece of evidence and it was related to one thing. And like, I don't know, like they also had a, um, some pieces of evidence that you had in case five, which I, and I mean, this is real life. So, or like, you know, like how it would be in real life, but there's pieces of evidence that you find in case five from what I'm going to say, uh, well, no, I think every piece of evidence you find you can present in court or like I think use. there's some stuff that you there might be like one or two things that you don't use in that yeah, case. Yeah, so my two questions I had and we can kind of wrap this up unless Trevor and Greg have anything, but I was going to ask, do they ever give you like faulty evidence or evidence that like you think is important in later games but like it's actually like it's just like fake evidence or like just not important non-consequential stuff and then my other question was is uh are the ds cases um and i know i'm going ahead but are the ds cases like as long as this case or is this just like a one-off like are they more like the the length of the um case three and case four or are they more like this case length so, Phoenix Wright's Ace Attorney for the DS is the longest of the trilogy. When you have Case 5 involved, it's the longest by far. If you're going off of just the base games, Ace Attorney itself is the shortest, probably followed by Ace Attorney 2, then Ace Attorney 3. Um, typically speaking, I'd say Ace Attorney 2 and Ace Attorney 3 are like Ace Attorney 1's length. Minus case five, plus like four or five hours. So I'd expect those to take about 20-ish a piece. Well, I I was mostly talking about, because this came out between three and four, I was mostly talking about like four and on, like the DS games. Like, 
are, are oh um yeah some of those cases can drag a little bit to okay. be honest i don't think four drags that much but five and six i think six is known for having the longest case in the series gotcha okay that's all i was wondering like i was getting ahead because i haven't played two or three but i'm super looking forward to i i I plan on playing those two games in the series as well, so I want to check those out. And like, you're not the first Phoenix Wright fan to say that the the original trilogy is your favorite, so I'm definitely glad I got this trilogy, and I'm going to check out those other games. Bro, we should have a side cast once you get done with those. <laughs> um, and I guess, do you guys have any other questions, Trevor or Greg? I'm. Uh, no, I think that's it. Nah, I think um, some I, of my questions might end up getting answered at the end of case five. So, okay. Um, um before well, we close, I just want to see what where you guys think things are going. Since I obviously know, but I mean, I I don't want to guess right and then spoil it for Greg. Yeah, let Greg go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about like end of case five. I'm talking about like sequels and stuff. You know how we talk about like what we think Beyond oh, Good and Evil Two would I be. Got you. Um, I would say I bet. I mean, probably the beginning or first case of two, you get reunited with Maya, and I'm interested. I don't want to. Ah, oh, I can't say this other thing. But I'm interested to see what's what's up with Gumshoe. Like, that's all I got. Actually, I want to see what's up with Gumshoe and Edgeworth. I think Maya will be back, though. She will be back by your side. And she will be able to... Her, her training came through, and she will be uh, able to channel her inner Mia whenever. Yeah, I want to see Maya come back um, after doing that uh, whole training montage. Um, Eye of the Tiger and all that, and um, I don't know. Just I honestly want to see more new characters. Like I think their characters are interesting. Yeah, I would probably say about the same thing. Like, obviously, I would assume Maya would be coming back. Um, maybe there'd be more like uh, like spirit channeling stuff. Kind of look forward to more kind of twists and like spins on the formula I think that they have so far. So um, yeah, I'm interested to see where the series goes. So I think my interest is peaked enough to at least start the second game. If I can finish this one. F that I want the old characters bring back a lot of heart. <laughs> I want her back and I want my boy karma back. Let karma like break out of prison and then commit a murder. And then he has to defend himself. He's like the, he's the, he's the uh, defendant. And he's also um, defending himself. And you're Phoenix Wright. You do a heel turn, and you are the prosecutor. Yeah, that's what I want. Game two. I just want to say, like, you guys are going to be so excited if you get all the way to the end of this. Tra- <laughs> I yeah, you got you guys could should continue playing. Um, I guess one short thing, the one mechanical change to the court side of things that they do in Ace Attorney 2 and 3 is that not only can you present evidence, you can present profiles. So when you go to your court record, you have evidence and you also have a profile tab which has all the people that you've met during the case. So sometimes you'll be asked certain questions and it's like, oh, well, um, 
there was nobody at the, let's say, parking garage at X time. So then you can present, oh, well, here, Lotta Hart was here at the parking garage at X time. So it adds a new layer to the difficulty. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, I think that will conclude our conversation on the case four and five of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Um, Greg, do we have any questions? Uh, that's a negative. But if you guys want to get involved with the show or share any feedback or just have, uh, uh, you know, anything you want to share with the podcast, you can hit us up at mischeckpoints at gmail.com. All right. Um, and where can people find you, Greg? Um, you can find me on Twitter at boombox hero. Facebook is the same. I think facebook.com slash boombox hero and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash X D R D Magnegro X. Where can people find you at? Dante? They can find me on the internet now. <laughs> and where can people find you at, Trevor? Uh, you can find me all across the interwebs, Lyric Unsung. And you can find me at Potato Salad on face on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Um, our next game will be Trevor's month, the month of April. So we have two games uh, on the docket. We have Brothers and we have Transistor. I believe we're starting off with Brothers. I think that's what we all said. Uh, So if you don't have those games, make sure to pick those up so you guys can play along with us. And uh, if you have been keeping up with our calendar, you will see that Trevor's month is the last month on the schedule. And we said last time that we are going to do a fan-submitted... vote again for the month of May. Um, so we have, we are taking submissions through the end of March. So this episode will release on the 25th of March. So you have just under a week to continue to submit games to us via Facebook, our Facebook page. Um, thus far, I, the only, the only requirements are they have to be games that are under 20 hours. Uh, we've been getting a lot of submissions from you guys that are not under 20 hours. So make sure to check how long to beat and type in your game, how long to beat.com and type in the game that you want to suggest just to make sure those are like estimates. Like a lot of people's like different play times Some people are speed running. Some people are enjoying the game or whatever. So they're not 100% accurate, but that's what we've been going off of when determining game length. So make sure the game that you suggest is under 20 hours. The only other caveat is is that it cannot be a game that we've already played. So any game we've already talked about, have an episode about, we are not going back and playing. Are we still but doing... Other than that... And something that we can actually play, too. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure we all have the console. So I think the last sure, time we sure. did current-gen or last-gen games... Yeah, and I think for the most part, most of the games we got have been... I Well, I say that, but I'm not 100% sure. I've seen a few GameCube games. I mean, you have a Wii, don't you? Mm, it's somewhere around here. Yeah, I mean, I... I <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think all games are... You can play all the GameCube games you can play on Wii. Don't quote me on that. Um, but thus far, uh, our lists, as last I checked... 
Um, we have Advance Wars, Ape Escape, Cave Story, Chaos Legion, Cortex Command, Dark Watch. Somebody suggested the Devil May Cry series, so I just put down all five games. So Devil May Cry 1, 2, 3, 4, and then DMC Devil May Cry, which is the reboot game. Um, Dragon Ball Z Fighters, the story mode. Doki Doki Literature Club. Uh, I think this is one of the GameCube games Trevor was talking about. Uh, Eternal Darkness, uh, Sanity's Requiem, Field of Magic XYXX, Geometry Wars, interesting. Uh, Gunpoint, Slay the Spire, Subnautica, which may, I think that might actually be 25 hour game, so we might not be able to do that one. Uh, Summon Knight, Sword Cap, uh, Summon Knight, Swordcraft Story, The Evil Within, Yakuza, uh, somebody said the Yakuza series, and I think that the Yakuza Kiwami was the only one that was sub-20 hours, and like that's an open world game, so that could be kind of iffy, we'll see. And then the uh, Zone of the Enders 1 and 2, um, so I, I, I think I combined those and just put the Zone of the Enders HD collection. So I think those are all the ones that I personally got messaged or I saw on the page. I think we will tweet it, or not tweet it out, we'll message it out on the page uh, one more time this week. Our, um, and uh, I think what we will do is we will um, have our list, then uh, at the end of the month we will, just like we did last time in December, the four of us are going to go through the list and we will each nominate our one or two games for our choice, and then we will have the poll up um, and we'll put the poll up maybe the middle of the month. I'll, I'll have a date. I will have a concrete date, uh, when we put, uh, the, on the next episode. And then we will also have our own individual games picked out and we'll start like acquiring those. And then our second episode, the transistor episode, we will reveal the winning game in the poll. And we will also reveal the schedule for the months of, uh, June through, was it June, July, August? June through September. So we'll have the next five months mapped out uh, basically a month from now. So stay tuned for the, stay tuned for one last week of submitting games and then stay tuned for the poll because we will be messaging that out promptly at the beginning of the month of April. So until next time, we are Miss Checkpoints and we'll catch you later. Peace.